High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. is why you're a champion. You understand that greatness takes sacrifice. Visualize what you still want to achieve. Stand atop the mountain of your success and look down at everyone who's ever doubted you. Fuck those losers. Fuck them in their stupid fucking faces. Welcome! Valedictorians, the drama club, that principal slash lift driver. Oh, and an extra special shout out to the mayor this week. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session. And we got to talk about your homework. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Prom season is finally over at High School Slumber Party. I'm sure you guys are happy about that. I hope you sincerely did check out, though, Third Time's a Charm for our Prom Night 3 episode. Mike Manzi was so kind to stop by here for not just Prom Night 1, but Prom Night 2. And, you know, we returned the favor, and I say we, but just me, you know, I went over to Third Time's a Charm, and we did Prom Night 3, and it's awesome, and of course you can check out my past episodes, but Third Time's a Charm as well, at cageclub.me, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Now your homework for this week might have been a little hard. Well, I don't want to say hard, but I guess more expensive than usual because you had to buy a movie ticket, most likely. The film we're talking about today is Booksmart, which has been getting awesome reviews. I'm so excited to talk about it. And because it's such a big movie, it's such a new movie, I've brought the Godfather himself onto the podcast, Joey Lewandowski. So I sincerely hope you watched Booksmart. If not, spoiler alert, as the kids say today, we're pretty much talking about this entire film. Also, John Cusack, he's still blocking us on Twitter. Just to recap, I think around our second episode, he decided to block us because I asked him why he did not like Better Off Dead, which very much, very much confused me. Apparently, he's over that, but he still blocked us anyway. So remember, guys, your extra credit assignment is always to get John Cusack to unblock us on Twitter. (laughs) 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. Malala. Malala. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. We got some more stuff to talk about. I really want you to stick around for this entire episode because we have a lot of special announcements. Some of them are made during the interview, and I'll explain them a little bit more after. Really, really excited to talk about Booksmart, though. But before that, remember, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and the Gram, interact with me. Class participation is a huge part of your grade, guys. A huge part of your grade. And you could do that, again, social media or by emailing me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. I will answer you. I promise that. But of course, the best ways you can help High School Slumber Party is giving us a five-star rating, writing a review, a positive one, or, most importantly, by telling a friend about all the magical happenings here at the Slumber Party. I will be deeply indebted to you if you do that. Now, Booksmart, it's the hot movie. You're going to see a lot of podcasts talking about it. You're going to see a lot of articles about it. I encourage you, obviously, to see the film because that was your homework. But read it. Read everything you get. Listen to every podcast you get. I think even our friends over at Teenage Dirtbags, another great podcast you should follow if you like this one, I think they're even doing it this week. Listen to that one as well. I haven't yet, but I promise I will. Get all the info on this movie. Get all the opinions. Don't just believe one source here, one source there. You want to you wanna hear everyone's opinion. But you're here already. So first, let's hear my opinion, I guess, and our guest Joey Lewandowski's. And we'll take it away with Lizzo's Boys. The foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried, has been very into Lizzo lately. I think he turned me on to Lizzo, but... Who hasn't lately? Lizzo's awesome. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. Class dismissed. Hey boy, what you say boy? You trying to play court like a game boy? Hit my phone boy. Is your homeboy? Are you a lone boy? Come get me done, boy. Got a boy with degrees, a boy in the streets, a boy on his knees, he a man in the sheets. Sheesh, it's all Greek to me. Got this boy speaking Spanish, I hit my beard. Baby, I don't need you. I just wanna freak you. I heard you a freak too. What's two plus two? So Joey, thank you, thank you for coming on and discussing a new film. I feel like most of the films I've had you on have been films that were made in the last couple of years. No, except for the Last Picture Show. Yes, at which ironically is the oldest movie I've done yet. So <laughs> I'm uh, one extreme or the other, baby. Just new, new or old, old. Because I think people mostly associate this show with like '80s or '90s movies. Sure, and, and I, I haven't charted it, but uh, I would imagine most of the films I've done are either 80s, 90s, or early 2000s films. But we've had a lot of fun doing some of the newer films. The last film we did was Assassination Nation, which you said was the film that best exemplifies 2018, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, to me, might be the film that 
best exemplifies 2019. Who knows? But we'll, we'll talk about it. But Joey, you know the drill. You've been on before. You're the godfather sure of the network. Please introduce yourself. Joey Lewandowski, Hunter and Central Regional High School, class of 2006. Go Red Devils. Go Red Devils, as always. How you been? Good, good? Well, I've been very good. So as you know, we just celebrated our 1,000th episode on the Cage Club Podcast Network. And so I've been crunching a lot of the numbers lately, and I'm looking at all the episodes that I've guested on for you. And so here's the episodes. I don't know if you remember all these. Edge of 17, great movie. Great movie. Summer of 84, really fun movie. I think I liked it a little bit more than you and Alex, maybe a little bit, but good movie. Yeah. Last Picture Show great movie. Anna and the Apocalypse, great discussion about a interesting movie. Yeah, certainly a different movie. Tokyo Drift, all-time classic movie. <laughs> and then Assassination Nation, and now here we are for Booksmart. Booksmart, absolutely. And this is a movie, when I saw the trailer, I'm like, this is one of them that I definitely want to do current rather than, you know, put it off. A real eighth grade situation. Yes, definitely. And, and I asked you, you were down, and happy to have you here. And Booksmart is still in the theaters as we speak. I know people were saying it it didn't do terribly well, which I hate how that's a metric on a film, but I guess it has to be because of economics. Well, I don't know that this could be really a crazy expensive movie to make. I mean, maybe it was, but given that it's a first-time director, even though she's famous, Olivia Wilde, given that it's a first-time director and not really notable names in the cast, I mean, I knew a handful of these people from a lot of different things, but I don't know that it's crazy expensive to make, so I don't know that it necessarily needs to be really profitable. Although, I I have read, this is an Annapurna picture, and Annapurna makes the greatest movies. Like, they made Spring Breakers, which I adore, and they made a bunch of other really great movies. But Annapurna, Megan Ellison, her entire organization over there is not very profitable like they make consistently great movies but they're always kind of the movies that are really great that don't necessarily do well at the box office so i think this is kind of in line with that unfortunately certainly right up my alley and i know yours as well i i hate the kind of culture we're in where reviews but you know this is getting good reviews so i can't complain there or how well a movie did really dictates if people will watch it because there are people who if a movie doesn't do well its first week will be like oh, people didn't go see it, why should I see it? Which is silly, silly. And that would be pretty shitty if you did that for Booksmart. But you were mentioning um, off-air quickly that this movie's on international Netflix. So yeah, so I think this is another one of those, like the same thing with Annihilation, which came out last year, which I also love. It was one of those things where I guess they thought it wouldn't do well internationally, so Annapurna sold the streaming rights, at least in some regions, to Netflix. So if you live outside the U.S., it might be, you know, hi, Shawnee. I don't know about (laughs) Australia, but maybe in Australia, I don't know. But I know that it's also floating around less than legal sites if you want to acquire the film that way. Go support your local cinema and go support this movie. But if you're overseas, you might have access to this movie day and date with Netflix, which is kind of cool. International slumbers, let us know if your country has this on Netflix, because that'd be cool. Then we could ask more of you about it. But right off the bat... Booksmart caught my eye from the trailer. I thought it was a pretty awesome trailer. I didn't know much about it, and I know you're not even a trailer guy. Like, what inspired you to see Booksmart? I remember getting incredible buzz out of South By, and I think I had sent you a thing, like a write-up that I read out of South By, and you were like, you're the fifth person to send this to me today. Like, everyone knew this is going to be a high school slumber party movie. I have always had a crush on Olivia Wilde. If you go back to the first episode that I was on a foodie film, so Kyle and I talked, actually the first and only, I know that you uh, gave him a little bit of sass on the most recent 
uh, episode that you were on with him <laughs> that you're like, oh, you're he's you're failing him or something like that. You're failing the network. But the only episode that I've been on in Foodie Films for Butter, I originally watched that movie because I had a crush on Olivia Wilde. So I knew that she was directing it. I had heard really, really good things about it. And this isn't a brag just because I watch a TV show, but I feel like I'm one of the very few people who went into this movie knowing who Caitlin Deaver was, who's the lead, because she is so good on Justified, or she was so good on Justified because it shows over. And so it was this... You know, I like high school movies, I like coming of age, I like Annapurna movies, I like Olivia Wilde, I like Caitlin Deaver, and it was this all, and the, and the good buzz, and it was all coming together in a package, and I was like, oh, I need to see this movie. I thought you were going to say you were a big fan of Last Man Standing. I was like, oh, that's surprising. I think that's that Tim Allen show that, that she's Is also... Is she on that? Yeah, she was like the girl oh. in that, like his daughter, okay. I believe. So I was like, wow, that's a surprise. Because <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I didn't know that until I looked it up. But okay, cool. That's cool. I mean, and that makes a lot of sense, too. Unjustified, she was. She started like when she was like 14 or 15 years old, and she played the daughter of this... I don't remember if it was like a weed dealer or like a meth manufacturer or like a, a, a moonshiner or something, because it's all down in the hills of Tennessee and Kentucky and oh god, Harlan County, I think, and she is just sort of, because she's so young, she's kind of taken under the wing as her parents get taken away mm. under sort of bad circumstances, then by the end of the show, when she's playing a character who's probably 17 years old, she's kind of running her own crime organization, so she's like, oh wow, and she's not in a ton of the show, like she's by no means the star, she's probably in like a dozen episodes of the 60, but or 70 or whatever it is, but she was great, she stood out on that, and her character was awesome too, and so I was always kind of a fan of hers, and then I guess I sort of lost track, and then here she is. That's cool. I mean, I had no idea who she was. Before we get into the cast, no DVD back, no VHS back, it's a new film, so I just took the, uh, I guess the write-up they wrote for Fandango. So here goes. Told from a wildly original, fresh and modern perspective, Booksmart is an unfiltered comedy about high school best friends and the bonds we create that last a lifetime. Capturing the spirit of our times, the film is a coming-of-age story for our new generation. Very vague, but that's fine. It's a new movie. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounded like that was the beginning of a longer write-up, and then it just stopped. And that doesn't <laughs> tell... It's just like, hey, if you like coming-of-age, it's a new voice. So, like, modern movies, I've realized this, especially like with the Netflix ones, they've stopped doing, like, really long write-ups about the films. It's something where I think it's just, like, we have trailer technology, we have the internet, that people don't, like, choose based on this anymore, so... I guess that's my theory, but who knows? It could just be people being lazy. I don't know. I don't know how people choose anything. Like, I see everything, basically, or everything... Well, I've been getting better at that and not watching just everything, but I see mostly everything. I don't know how people choose movies anymore at all. Like, I don't know how people have ever chosen movies. You didn't see The Kissing Booth. You tried. Well, yeah. No, I tried. I watched 20 minutes, and I was like, nope. And uh, you mentioned it, but this movie's getting great buzz. It's actually 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, though 75% by the audience, but still it doesn't really have a, you know. Well, that's the internet's misogyny, and I'm gar- I guarantee you that. We'll discuss some opinions later, because I-, I asked for some of you slumberers to reach out, and I've reached out to some people as well to try to see some criticism, and we'll answer it later. It's not all misogyny. Well, no one... To be fair, no one, like, misogynistic reached out to me and was like, women, am I right? You know, but I think there are some fair criticisms of this film. I'm going to get that right off the bat. Like, I loved it, you know, but let's dive right in. You mentioned director Olivia Wilde. You're a big fan. First time directing, but I mean, let's be honest. She's a first time director, but she's obviously like somebody with clout. So it's not your typical, like, first time indie director, like some person out of college or, or... 
or someone who like scrapped everything together to make the film. So, it, it, and it certainly didn't have that quality. You know what I'm saying? No, yeah, it definitely feels like a big production. It feels like this was something. You know, she was she didn't write it. There were four women who wrote this movie. I don't know much about the development of it. Maybe you have some notes on that. But I think it feels like something that she just wanted to make and was the right fit. And you know, it's still a small movie, but it's also a very well made, highly produced, beautiful looking movie. Oh, absolutely. And the one thing you know, off the bat, I'll comment on like I thought this movie was really, really pretty. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I want to look up now who the uh, cinematographer was, because I started doing that with the episodes that I record with Mike, and sort of being surprised, like, oh, people who make good-looking movies generally wind up making a lot of good-looking movies. Yeah, that's something that, um, with Hoffman especially, I used to uh, care about more than these high school films, because there are very few, like, really, really pretty high school films, believe it or not. But it's something that's, like, really cool, because I like seeing someone's name as a cinematographer, and they're like, oh, wow, okay. I feel that often a cinematographer's like mark on a film is just as distinctive, if not more, than the director's. Tell me who it is when you look it up, because I'm very curious. It's Jason McCormick, who's only done one feature film hmm. before. He did the movie Lemon, which was a Brett Gilman movie that Mr. Mike Manzi really enjoyed that I did not see yet. came out a couple of years ago. So he's, I guess, okay. relatively new, at least in the movie game. Looks like he did two short films as well. I think a cinematographer's work is easier to identify. Or not identify, like it's not, well... Maybe. I feel like a director's touch, unless they're a very specific type of auteur director like Tarantino or David Fincher or Soderbergh or Christopher Nolan, where their name sort of is big enough to draw people to the movie, I feel like a director's influence on a good movie, maybe, it goes unnoticed somewhat. You know what I mean? Because Mm. I think just the average moviegoer knows that there's a director who makes movies, but I think it's sometimes hard to pinpoint all the different ways in which they influence the movie. Where a cinematographer, you're literally looking at what they do. Like, the way that it's shot, the way that it's framed, the way that it's maybe lit, or the way that it captures the light. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's easier sort of thing to appreciate for the average or any kind of movie viewer. I guess that's fair. That, that's pretty true. So this cast, uh, you mentioned Caitlin Deaver. The only other thing I was yep. going to mention, uh, two other films that I had seen her in is the, and I haven't seen this film completely, but The Spectacular Now. Oh, she's in that? Yeah. I gotta rewatch that, man, because I saw that when it came out and I loved it. I remember I really liking it... it too, but I haven't seen it in forever. You might have signed up for that one. Oh, I probably did. That was back before a lot of the world was like, eh, Miles Teller, I'm not really a fan, and Shailene Woodley, she's kind of weird. <laughs> but they were both so good in that movie. Bob Odenkirk is great in that movie. That's an A24 movie. I know A24 and Annapurna are not the same thing, but they make a lot of movies together. Very similar, too. Like Actually, that might have been an Annapurna movie. Let me see here. But yeah, no, that movie is great. I forgot that she was in that. Or maybe... She's not a big character. Know? Okay. She's like the other movie? she's listed like fifth on it. But um, oh, the other movie she was in was A Beautiful Boy. It just came out oh, with Steve Oh, yeah, Carell. that's on my list. I haven't gotten to that yet. I, I really liked that movie. I watched it on the plane, which is not the best place to see a film. But I watched it because the uh, writer said like one of his biggest inspirations for doing it was Philip Seymour Hoffman. And it was something we brought up on our oh, show. And I was okay, like, let, okay. let me see this. And you know, I thought it was a really powerful film. And she's in that, too. Obviously, I think she does a great job. And she has such such awesome chemistry in this film with um, her co-lead, Beanie Feldstein, who plays Molly. A.K.A. Jonah Hill's sister. Which I did not know until two days after I saw the film. Really? Okay. <laughs> One of my criticisms, actually, were like, I know people are saying this is like the lady super bad, but wow, did she have to copy like... Uh, Jonah Hill's mannerisms and look and everything. <laughs> I was literally thinking that while watching. It didn't make me hate the film, but I was like, oh, could you know? Could you be a little original? But now, like, she can't help it. It's genetic, you know. <laughs> She's in Lady Bird, 
I don't remember her in Lady Bird. I don't know. I don't remember her in Lady Bird. I remember her in Neighbors 2. Yes. She's got a sort of small-ish part, but she's got a few lines in that. And she's also in the What We Do in the Shadows TV show as a small part, too. Oh, really? Like this, I think, is kind of her. Yeah, she's she's not by any stretch of the imagination the lead. She's just a college girl who gets turned into a vampire and is kind of coming to terms with it over the course of the first season. Gotcha. So um, you mentioned the production a bit before. One thing I did read in like the production notes that this was a screenplay that had a ton of rewrites. It might have been even passed to Olivia Wilde like for her acting originally, and then she liked it because I think it's been kicking around for like two or three years now. Oh, okay, okay. But I say that because Beanie Feldstein originally auditioned for a role that's no longer in the film that was a much smaller role, but Olivia Wilde was like, I really like you. Why don't you audition for this one? eventually when like it got down the road and she did and she got it which i think is awesome because i mean i know i'm like kind of filling in the gaps here but maybe she just didn't think that she was going to get like a leading part so she kept going for these small roles because you know from what you're describing and from what i've seen she's never really had a big lead but i thought she killed it in this yeah she's great i mean she it looks like she's only really been acting in earnest since 2015 it looks gotcha. like she's in a couple things earlier than that but you know i guess in anything the whole network that we do is based on nicholas cage i mean a little bit of nepotism aside was the lead in his second movie you know what i mean like you can just emerge to become a star or tom cruise same thing but i feel like nowadays especially with the rise of uh, movies like this like if this was the kind of movie that kind of feels like oh this could just be a vod movie you know what i mean like it doesn't feel necessarily theatrical i'm glad that it was in theaters Mm -hmm. but with so many movies just sort of being distributed in so many different ways i feel like it's kind of the era where you're in a bunch of different little things all in the span of a year or two or three, and then people recognize you from that and then start casting with bigger things. So I think this is kind of like a maybe a natural evolution, but if she auditioned two years ago when she's even newer, like I can see why she wouldn't think that she would get a lead just because she's only been around for a year or two. That's fair, that's fair. And I also read a production note that Olivia Wilde wanted them to like room together for a little bit to gain chemistry. I don't know okay. if that's why they have such great chemistry, but it's certainly, you know, something worked here because they're so good as friends. Oh, definitely. Like, the movie doesn't say how long they've been friends. There's no allusions to them saying, like, oh, I remember when we met in kindergarten, as a lot of other films do. But it feels like they've been friends for forever. This isn't like they became friends in just high school. I mean, it's possible, but it feels like they've been friends forever, you know? They're such good friends to the point where the first scene of the movie, she's like, I missed you. And she's like, well, it's just only been one night. Excuse me. Oh. What? Oh. What? What? Missed ya. I missed you. I missed you so much. In one night. Are we gonna go to school or? Nope. I don't think we are. Nope, we're just gonna stay here. Like, they're so close that they just spend a normal night apart. Their friendship is you know, undeniable, it's insatiable, like they have to be together at all times. Oh, you just reminded me, I was going to let the slumberers know out there, uh, homework-wise, I guess I should have last week, but if you don't want to go to the movies and see this film, that's just dumb. But theoretically, if you don't, and you don't want to go on any legal site to watch it, the first six minutes of this film are available for mass consumption pretty much anywhere. It was something that the uh, production company decided to do. So if you want to just wet your beak with the first six minutes, be my guest. You know, when she shows up in the front and they start dancing like that. Well, it really opens with that uh, meditation thing, which I thought was awesome. And we see her bedroom. I don't mind a film that opens 
like in the morning or when someone wakes up. A lot of people dislike that. I don't care. I like that. Oh, I have no opinion of that either one way or the other. <laughs> I, what I was going to say is that if the six, first six minutes are available, you know, before the credits roll, there's only like 95 minutes of movie. So you're seeing seven or eight percent of the movie. So like you're seeing a decent chunk of it. I mean, there's so much good stuff after that, but it's not an insignificant portion by any stretch of the imagination. So you told me you just saw it, right? So your most recent watch is your second watch? Yes, I saw it the night it came out, and then I saw it uh, last night. I don't want to. I don't want to say when we were recording this. I don't want to date it, but I was at the theaters last night and I saw a couple movies, so I saw it again. So I've seen it twice now, and I liked it even more the second time. Actually, I liked it the same amount both. I really love it. This is. You said it before, how much you loved it. This is my favorite movie of the year that does not have Zac Efron in it. Wow, that's high praise. That's high praise. So I saw it just once, but then I, did, I rewatched that um, six-minute thing. And okay. it made me realize, and I'm sure you did too, that that beginning classroom scene has almost every main character in it. It's very, very smart how they do that. Absolutely. Yeah, so guys, again, if you just want to check out that six minutes, you'll meet a lot of your characters and this is a great great character film one of the better things that this film does i think is it feels like it fleshes out a lot of side characters in such a little amount of time so the first six minutes does not feature my favorite character really right? is, is Gigi in the first six minutes uh actually no i don't think so it, the other uh, guy so. is so yes jared is in there Gigi is not we'll get to Gigi in a second because i will not stop talking about she is the but best the one thing i think this movie does not do very well and she is introduced in the first six minutes, which I was glad when I watched it the second time, I was like, oh, right, that's her, is that eventually Amy, our lead character, Caitlin Deaver's character, is a lesbian. She's out from the beginning of the movie, and she has a crush on this girl, Ryan, and then at the party, and I'm sort of spoiling a lot of this, at the party, uh, she sees Ryan making out with Nick, who is the guy that Molly likes. Mm -hmm. And so it's this real sort of double twist, like terrible situation for everyone involved, except for, you know, or I guess for Amy and Molly. Anyway, she goes into the bathroom, and there's, there's hope. And Hope is in the bathroom. And when I saw this movie the first time, I didn't remember who this person was. Like, there's Hope in the classroom says to Amy mm -hmm. about, like, getting the phone number from the teacher. And then she's gone from the movie until the bathroom scene. And I thought when this first happened that she was AAA. But then AAA comes up later and she picks up Molly. So I like, I just thought, uh, sort of thought those two characters were the same. I could see how you do that. I could see how and you I think, do that. I think that's like the one character that is of the level of importance that she is in this movie that I think isn't fleshed out enough. So you meet her in the first six minutes, and I'm glad that I was reintroduced to her, but there's so much stuff that happens between the time you meet her and the time that she and Amy make out in the bathroom that I forgot about her entirely. And I think that's one shortcoming in this otherwise really, really great movie. That's actually related to one of my criticisms. And again, I loved this film, so I tried to find things I didn't like about it, to be fair. That was actually related to one of my criticisms, because I thought that she felt like a character that was created almost just to give Amy somewhat of a happy ending. Yeah, I can see that. I think something has to come of that, though, because I think that's really, you know, I don't remember exactly how this is, because, and so I'm so sorry, Tobin, if you're listening to this episode, but when I took Tobin's screenwriting course, he talks about characters' wants and their characters' needs, right? And it's like, well, their their need is what they really, truly need, like, love or something, but what they want is, like, she wants to make out with Ryan, but she needs affection and validation you know what i mean like that kind of thing and i feel like that's her driving force here that she already has her future planned out we don't know until the end of the movie that she's going to africa for an entire year we just think it's the end of the summer or whatever but she's got her whole future planned out but like in this movie what she needs is sort of on some level you know a sexual experience to kind of 
like a coming out. You know what I mean? Like she's already out in terms of her sexuality, but I think she needs some kind of connection with another woman in a sexual way. You know what I mean? And so I think I agree with that. In that way, maybe Hope is a kind of convenient character to give that, but I think that she's that kind of character, that kind of resolution is important in this movie. I think though that and and again, I know you can't wait to talk about her. I can't wait to talk about her either. I think what they did though with Gigi, they, yeah. they should have done more with her as well, where she not to that crazy level, but where she with Hope or with Amy? With Hope in terms of okay. she, she would keep popping up and maybe making a snarky comment here or there you know ra- yeah, rather I, than disappearing I, I, I agree i think she should be in there somehow more i think the type of character that she is it's consistent in that she just wants to like she wants to be kind of a part of the action but she's also just smoking in the bathroom because she doesn't want to be around people you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so i think for her to go to three or four different parties kind of betrays that a little bit and i think that they should have weaved her weaved her woven her in a little bit more than they did but i think in terms of who that character is, it works. No, yeah, and again, like I said, nitpicking. <laughs> but, you know, we can't defer this anymore. Let's talk Gigi. Let's talk Billy Lord. How awesome oh was she? God. I'm not oh even going God. to... Even people who weren't so hot on the movie were like, Gigi was the best. So, <laughs> feel free, Joey. Wax poetic. I mean, if you want to walk away for 10 minutes and come back, I'll probably still be talking. <laughs> I mean, you know on a grand scale that she's Carrie Fisher's daughter, right? Yes, of course. I was talking to Mike Manzi about this. Another time I'm name-dropping Mr. Mike Manzi, so take a drink if you're playing a high school slumber party drinking game. And <laughs> I was talking to Mike Manzi, he's like, I, I don't know her from anything. He's like, I can't believe this is like her first thing. I was like, no, no, no. He knew that she was in Star Wars, but she's just there as like basically little Leia, right? Like she's got the same kind of hairdo yeah. and that's it. And she doesn't really have lines, or maybe she has like one line or whatever in episode seven and eight. She was one of the leads, like second or second or third tier, sort of second tier leads in Scream Queens, which was incredible. And I don't know if you ever did you ever see Scream Queens on Fox? I did not see it, but it was oh something that God. I thought looked really cool and I really liked all the cast members. Ryan Murphy created American Horror Story yeah. and did Nip Tuck before that and everything created Scream Scream Queens and it was kind of a parody, a send up. It really fits into the genre and the type of fun I think that a lot of the movies that you cover in here cover. I know you don't really quite do TV, but I think it would sort of fit in that world. I mean, they're in college, but it's still that same kind of overall vibe. And gotcha. she is so good on that show. I mean, there's the leads who are really good, but she is just incredible. Like, she was my favorite part, you know, her and this guy, Chad Radwell, who was one of the leads also in Everybody Wants Some, which is another movie that I love. Anyway, a lot of great parts about Scream Queens. But I knew her from that, and and when I knew that she was in this movie, that got me excited because she's also really weird and funny on Instagram and stuff like that. And then she shows up in the, I don't remember what they call it. He calls it the SS Lit, the SS Lit as fuck. What's the character's name? Jared. His car with the flames all over the side, and he's just sort of Gigi's sidekick What's the license plate say? Fuckboy or something like that? (sighs) Something like that. Maybe? I don't remember. But she gets out of the car. Like, he's supposed to give her this grand unveiling, I guess. Even though everybody knows her, this is the second to last day of high school, right? And she's going to ride up here, and then she, like, falls out of the car, and she just says, I'm fucking spent, Jared. I'm fucking spent. And then she's just, like, sleeping on his hood. And, like, that's her introduction to this movie. <laughs> and it is just wonderful. Like, she is so good. And she's the kind of character, I think, that's set up in this world that you kind of want to hate her, but she's just so pure and so joyous in her weirdness that you can't hate her, even though she is, if you're any other kind of character, annoying. You know what I mean? And I really credit Billy Lord, too, with everything you're saying, because I think another actor, there's plenty of great actors, but I think there are 
you could also screw up a role like this. Oh, but yeah. She seems like she embraced it so much. And one of the other production notes I read was that, you know, Olivia Wilde and, and everyone, like, all the producers were getting such a kick out of her performance that they added two or three scenes with her and, and gave her more lines as the filming went on because they just loved what she was doing, which is so great to hear. And they could have added more scenes and I would have been happy. Well, she has what I'm going to say is my favorite line of the year in any movie. Wow. <laughs> the funniest thing I've heard all year, one of my favorite, like, I just love her character so much. Like, her character, instantly one of my favorite characters of all time, even though she's got a small, and she's probably only on screen for five or ten minutes. Like, she's not on screen a ton. But when they go to the first party, when they go to Jared's party on the boat, and she gives them, unknowingly to them, to, to Amy and Molly, the, like, the the acid strawberries or the LSD strawberries or whatever, like the, the strawberries tainted with drugs. And Amy's up there while Molly's talking to Jared down below. And Amy says, one time I ate a legal pot brownie when Model UN went to Amsterdam. And as soon as I got high, I just cried about the fact that one day my mom will die. And then the next line from Gigi is <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard, at least in a long, long, long time, to the point where me and one other person in the theater the first time I saw it could not stop laughing for probably a solid minute. Like somebody way in the back and me just lost our goddamn minds. I lost my virginity in what I thought was a park, but it turned out to be a graveyard, and now the ghost spirits live inside my eggs waiting to be reborn. It's not at all the same. I always felt like we were similar. Gigi says, I have the exact same thing. I lost my virginity in what I thought was a park, but it turned out to be a graveyard, and now the ghost spirits live inside my eggs waiting to be reborn. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and then Amy says, that's not at all the same. And Gigi says, I always felt like we were similar. <laughs> and it is such a non sequitur. It is such a lunatic, like, it's just, it's an insane line, thought process, sentence to say, and she absolutely sells it. And it is the greatest thing I've heard all year. <laughs> oh, and it's so good. And honestly, like, if we didn't see her maybe till the end, I would have been still so happy. But how she just keeps appearing, and it it's... It becomes a punchline, but it doesn't get old to me. It's, like, so awesome. Like, how did you get here at all the parties? Like, how did you get here? <laughs> like, she's more incredulous that they got there. And then when she, she dives into the water and shows up later, and they're like, how are you dry? They're like, how are you dry? <laughs> and then she shows up once again at the, the final party, and then she just, like, takes the elevator down or whatever. Her as the mayor is incredible. <laughs> oh, God. In the costume party. Like, she's just so good throughout this entire movie. I don't know. Like, I think there's credit to the screenwriters to however many people got this version of it in. Like, all the characters, for the most part, feel real and feel rounded. I mean, she's kind of a little cartoony, but it also feels like she's a real person. You know what I mean? Like, it feels not out of the realm of possibility. She's just kind of turned up a little bit. But it's still sold in a way by the performance and the writing that it's just so amusing and so wonderful to watch, but also feels like this isn't just a cartoon character. This is just a girl who has everything and is trying to just have fun in high school, kind of, and be a part of everybody's parties and be a part of everybody's cliques. And everyone loves her, even though she's a weirdo, but she only really feels at home with Jared. Like, I just, it's such a unique but special and realistic character, and the portrayal is just incredible. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree with that. And you hit on some really, really cool. Uh, good points there too in terms of um, the tone there is a realness about this film but I think a lot of people in the press are kind of putting it at a different place and direction like how can I put it like I think like for instance Lady Bird was a lot less stylized in terms of dialogue than this this film feels there's a lot of silly cartoony moments it doesn't go over the edge or anything like that 
Right. But it's certainly not 100% grounded. And people are like, oh, it's so... Because, you know, I've read a lot of press. And yeah. it's getting good reviews. And I love that. And I love this film. But it's not, you know, it's not to me like a game changer. But I don't think it has to be. I think it's a game changer the fact that, like, it's an awesome women-driven film that I had a good time watching. But, like, it's this isn't a film that's going to theoretically change society. I'm just really, really happy it got made because I had a good time. If that makes sense, I could be crazy. No, I think it is. Like, I don't think every movie has to completely change the way that movies are made. I think that this is actually, in a lot of ways, similar to 8th Grade in style and tone and feel and sort of that level of balance like it's you know not incredibly grounded but it's also not juno where every line is a quirky aphorism like and i love juno like when juno came out i loved it and i thought that you were just talking about this maybe on the episode with kyle on foodie films yeah about how juno kind of broke the mold in a lot of ways and Booksmart didn't i feel like this and eighth grade both kind of find a common ground a happy medium between incredibly weird and fully realistic and authentic you know what i mean and i feel like it's it's a fun place to be like it's a good movie and it's you know i I guess the maybe possibly the spectrum goes from like juno to something like edge of 17 in terms of recent memory right where Edge of 17 is not quirky i I wouldn't say at all but they're both great movies and this sort of this in eighth grade i think kind of find that middle ground between the two where it's the best of both worlds and sort of transcends both of them a little bit more you know how they used to do like dvd box sets of things i mean they still might but like they used to just put different you know movies that are somehow tangentially related like i could see a box set from juno to edge of 17 to ladybird to this like like together and they're different films yeah. but they're all high school like women driven high school films that do a different thing at a different not a super different time period because they're all you know w- when was juno that'd be the earliest of that set juno was like oh six i want to say oh five oh six maybe yeah, like oh six to to twenty twenty, we'll say like a fi- that fifteen year period. There's an evolution, and different films do different things for different times. And but this the film doesn't have to be groundbreaking to me, and that's what made it super super awesome. You and I, like this is a weird conversation, right? Because you and I are probably not qualified to talk of like what makes a feminist film just from the fact that we were not born as women, you know. Right. But <laughs> I, I think in not my defense of why I'm able to talk about this, but I think that because I've seen so many movies, that movies like this, like Lady Bird, like Eighth Grade, you know, movies directed by women, written by women, starring women, I think that just by the nature of all of that, they tell a story in a new and a fresh way that even just as a movie watcher, even if I'm not able to connect with that specific type of experience, I think it's important and I think it's refreshing and I think it's just overall new in a way that like especially if you listen like Wistful Thinking on our podcast network they talk about how many more men or how many more movies can be just made by dudes right like just like starring dudes doing dude things and like I don't feel that way like I still love you know Marvel movies and like Iron Man you know stuff like just sort of more testosterone based things but at the same time I would love like a hundred movies just telling stories that we haven't seen before like this is sort of been dubbed as like the the girl version of Superbad, right? But like this is kind of, this is better than Superbad. I mean Superbad's great, but this is different and new and fresh in a way because Superbad was like a better version of a, a movie that we'd seen a lot. This is a new version of a movie that we've seen a lot. You know what I mean? And I feel like it's Oh yeah, I know. I, I do twist. this show. It's like a it's an <laughs> it's an incredible like an, an a better type of twist on the formula than just 
a funnier version. Like Superbad's kind of like the best version of that that you could be, but this is like a great version of something that we've never really seen before. And you, you know, you almost took the words right out of my mouth. I think we sometimes... It must have been something I said. <laughs> I think sometimes we just assign things... Okay, like, you know, like the female-led Ghostbusters? People put too much pressure on that film to be like a groundbreaking generational right. film. And it's just because it happened to cast for women in these roles and that's almost unfair and i i do actually take offense sometimes when people are like oh there's too many things made by men and i don't know if that's true i think you do more movies like this and maybe men aren't going to have the perspective that they have and maybe when they make another film they'll never have the perspective 100 percent of being a woman but maybe they'll be a little bit more fair than all the films they've ever seen before. I think movies like this are really, really good. And I think, like I said, this is like such a 2019 film. I think this is a really important film. And I, th I think we can, like, hopefully, you know, move the in more of a direction where we're getting these kind of voices. But not just the fact that they are women. This is a good movie, you know? Yeah, I think the good thing about this kind of movie, and not just this movie, but any movie that's written by or directed by or starring women the type of movie that really wasn't made, say, 10 years ago, like pre-Juno or whatever, it's going to inspire a lot of young girls who think that they can see themselves making a movie or writing a movie or starring in a movie. You know, like, I feel like there were a handful of directors in the 80s, you know, we covered one of them on Cinemakers so far, Amy Heckerling, who made incredible movies. But I think that having so, so many, so much more visibility into the people who make the movies now because of YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat and everything and just people are more aware of the people that make their stuff that they like. I think you were also talking in that Foodie Films episode about like I don't know what the right age group is to see this movie because I feel like it's kind of ra not raunchy but it's like very profane at times you know what I mean? That's but something I we're think, definitely going to talk about. I think if young girls see this movie or see movies like this and see that Olivia Wilde had success as an actress but now she's a director like there's a story about amy heckerling who she's got the two you know she's on the mount rushmore you know i know you talk about her on the mount rushmore of high school directors and rightfully so absolutely but she was in i remember it was high school or college but there was some guy in her class you might know the story we told we told it on cinemakers but there was some guy near her who was like i want to be a director and she's like well if this idiot can be a director i'm gonna be a director because she's like <laughs> this guy like is a nothing like he's a whatever like i'm i'm better at him at like all these things like i can be a director then she just sort of did that not out of spite but kind of out of spite and i feel like just people having more visibility into the fact that anybody can be a director anybody can make a movie like this as long as they have a story to tell go for it yeah no and again that's what makes this one of the things that makes this movie so great. But if I didn't know that Olivia Wilde was the director from my perspective, I still would have enjoyed the film. And, you know, a good movie is a good movie. I feel so refreshed seeing a good movie made with, you know, their voices here. I, I think everyone did such an awesome job. But, Joey, you mentioned it now, and this is a point I was going to bring up later, but whatever, we're just having fun here. One of the things that I, I felt while watching this film and I feel uniquely qualified in saying this, is that it didn't feel like a high school film made for high school kids. And that's completely okay. You know, when we watch films about different countries and different eras, like, okay, they didn't make The Patriot starring Mel Gibson for people in the, in the 1700s, obviously. Like, it doesn't, you know, not that that's a great film, but you know what I mean. Are you sure? <laughs> It's just, it doesn't have to be a high school film. I want to clarify my point, like a high school film for high schoolers. But I don't consider this film, 
yes, it's a coming-of-age film, but it's definitely a film written for, I don't want to say written, I, I guess made for people maybe in their 20s and 30s at least, and not just for the profanity. I think a lot of the dialogue, too, just doesn't feel like it's coming from a high schooler's mouth. Like, I have cousins in high school, and it, it didn't feel like I was watching them on screen. I think the two leads are in their 20s anyway, so that, that kind of makes sense. I know it wasn't written by people that young. You, you talked about eighth grade before. The language of that film, maybe Bo Burnham did a lot of research, felt a Gucci. little... Yeah, like stuff like that. Like there was a lot of eighth grade where I was confused. Like people talk like that, you know? I didn't feel that at all almost here. I don't know. What do you think? I see where you're coming from. I think it's hard. You know, we were saying before about how it's hard to really put ourselves in the in the shoes of a woman seeing herself represented on screen or mm-hmm. whatever, having her story told. I think it's at, equally difficult to put yourselves in or put yourself in the shoes of a high schooler because we're twice the age of high school. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I, I sort of have a sense of what high school may or may not sound like. I think this is definitely going to resonate with high school kids, if only because it's the kind of life that they are. That's the other thing. Like, you know, I think I, I enjoy movies like this because it reflects the high school experience that I didn't really have. Because mm, every time I come fair. on here, I talk about how I'm, I really sort of didn't have like a very exceptional or very exciting high school experience. Still no stories to tell. And, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like seeing attractive young people go to parties and, like, have a good time and go go a little crazy and have that one night of fun or whatever is the kind of thing that I didn't really do. And I think that it, it'll always appeal to me as, as long as I... I hope I don't grow out of this because these are, you know, some of my favorite movies. But it'll appeal to me because it's sort of like a wish fulfillment in a way. Mm. And so I don't know if people who, you know, maybe people who see themselves like Amy or Molly who are in high school and sort of kind of the goody-goody kind of the girls who, or boys, who put their studies first and kind of wish that they were in the popular clique or wish they have a crush on the cheerleader or the quarterback or whatever. I feel like that it is, this is definitely going to appeal to them, but I don't know if, you know, people who are like Nick or like Gigi or whoever are actually watching movies at all in high school. They're probably living it up because why wouldn't you you know what i mean but i don't oh, know yeah absolutely but you think of a movie like the kissing booth which apparently high schoolers loved they watched that film in droves and i don't get it you know I don't well get that's it. the other thing high schoolers are dumb let's just say that <laughs> no but the point is they didn't make the kissing booth for me and i think i even said that on that episode they didn't make the kissing booth for me i feel like this film is made more for me and i've been thinking a lot about genre because well i guess i did too Three, if you count the third time's a charm one, but three prom nights in a row. And just from talking it over with Mike Manzi, I'm not a horror guy. And I'm slowly becoming more and more of a horror guy. But I ask questions that maybe don't need to be asked in a horror film. And I think about that with wrestling. Like, I'm a wrestling fan, but Joey, I know you're not. And it would take you a long time, and time I'm sure you don't want to put in, to understand the language of the performance. Sure. Yeah, agreed. Now, I've done this podcast for over a year now. I've seen a lot of these high school films. And to me, this is a great, great genre piece. I think you mentioned it a little bit, too. We've seen these kind of things done before. This is just a new take, a fresh take of the traveling party film, you know? Okay. So you're saying the genre of not necessarily high school or coming of age, but this specific niche within those two sectors. Be- yeah, because, you know, I mean, y- you obviously follow along as the leader of our network of what I do. Not every high school film, a lot of them are like this, but not every high school, like this wouldn't be, we need to talk about Kevin or something like that, you know, or or even the kissing booth. But I, I don't know what to call this genre, but there's a definite genre. Uh, th- this straddles between like, that like what super bad is and like uh 
films like Edge of Seventeen or Juno, which are just I like women driven character films. It's like a mix of those two. But it's definitely good in both those things. I think it's like a coming of age and self discovery genre, right? Like it's the kind of thing where high school and college are both this period of figuring out who you are. Yeah. And figuring out what you like and figuring out what you should and shouldn't be doing. And I feel like in Edge of Seventeen where Haley Seinfeld's trying to get with that boy and trying to make sense of her best friend dating her brother and stuff like that like it's like i don't know that this is necessarily the best way but it's kind of like experiencing life all at once kind of genre right Where like just you're you're having stuff thrown in your face and you're trying to cope with it and you're trying to deal with it and you don't necessarily have the emotional vocabulary or even the life the experiential vocabulary to really know what to do with all of these feelings but you're just dealing with the best way you can i feel like that's the edge of 17 and that's juno and that's this and that's eighth grade and And, that's but it's it's even sillier ones too like can't hardly wait which takes place over one party or ferris bueller's day off even which you know it doesn't seem like that but in the end of the day ferris bueller's day off they're all contemplating like what they're gonna do next year essentially like when this when this life ends and and this is you know one of my favorite things about high school films i just i love the fresh voice and i love how they executed it just want to think that's i think it's like you know in terms of that like in terms of ferris bueller i think it's it's similar to what i was saying in terms of knowing like learning who you are learning Mm -hmm. like discovering what you do what you don't want to do but also learning who you want to become right and whether that's via taking a day off and leading a parade down you know, Wacker, Wacker Street or whatever in, in Chicago or going to a party or trying to get beer for a party or whatever, you know, it's it's a journey of self-discovery and figuring out, you know, who am I really? Yeah, absolutely. Just a couple quick cast people. I didn't really recognize too many other people in this film. Obviously, Jason Sudeikis is the principal slash... I can't believe Olivia Wilde got him for this movie. Like, can you believe that? Like, <laughs> the string she probably had to pull to get her husband in this movie? <laughs> I mean, he's great. I, I I still love him. You know, like what's the, the line he has? He says, um, <sighs> "Principal Brown is his, his name." Hold on, uh, Principal Brown was my dad. You can just call me Jordan. Like, that's <laughs> not a thing people say. Like it's you know, like oh, Mister Brown is my dad, but he's just like Principal Brown. You know, I just no, I love him. I love him. I mean, at this point, if you guys have listened this far, you know we're not going to go chronologically with this film so much. You know, we're going to be skipping around. But when they first walk into his, um, I guess, office, and he's just like <laughs> he's like so over it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you know that scene. I forgot again the line he says there, but it, th- that's hilarious. But just literally closing the door on them, like I don't, I can't <laughs> deal with you one more day. I think he, uh, along with some other characters, but he's one of these like great examples of teachers are real people too. And it's yeah. something I definitely didn't you know pick up on so much while I was in high school. But now, like that, I have friends who are teachers, or just like I know some through Facebook, like, some of what my old teachers are up to. I'm like, wow, they're just people. And, you know, when he picks them up, I forget if he's, like, an Uber driver or a Lyft driver or whatever. He's a Lyft because they are ladies and they support, like, Uber, you know. Oh, Lyft you're is, right. Lyft is more politically and socially conscious of a, of a service. You're right. I forgot about that. And, and you know, the way his car's decorated. <laughs> and just even his reaction, you know, and their reaction. and It would be the same, of course. I feel like... Sorry. His character is a more, a better version of that than the Jessica Williams character. Yes. Because like, I feel like Miss Fine is kind of the idealized, like, cool teacher that you as the nerdy, you know, 
like teacher's pet want to be friends with you know what i mean like the cool young teacher who wants to give you her number and like you have a, a crossword bond with like again like, i love crosswords you know the fact that she's into crosswords made me love her even more okay. but it feels like she's a little bit too perfect in that regard 100%. and the fact that you know she has that backstory i think it gives her a little bit of personality where she's you know personalization characterization where she's saying that you know, she was like them in high school, and she course corrected and went like really hard in her twenties and kind of fucked a lot of things up. And this is sort of her rebound to that, and she doesn't want to see them do that. But at the same time, she like sleeps with the high school kid, the twenty-year-old or whatever. Like, there's a lot of things where it's like that's not as well-rounded of a character as it could be or maybe should be. Um, but at the same time, it still fits into that thing you were saying, like you know, teachers are people too. Like she's probably a thirty-year-old who is just kind of all confused, and she's trying to get through life just like the girls are. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of issues with this character. I love Jessica Williams, and I actually liked the character, but it's also, you know, I have to be fair, it was also creepy. I don't care if the kid is 20. She still entered that party looking to hang out, you know? She still, like, was super cool with, you know, hanging out with the students. I don't, I mean, I don't like the idea of someone who just recently was a caretaker for these people. And, you know, regardless if he's 20 or not, suddenly, like, trying to want to hang out with them. And it's not so much that I don't like the idea of it. I don't like that I liked the character of Jessica Williams, and Jessica Williams in general, wanted this character to be more of a creepy person than a cool person. I wouldn't mind that in a film. Politically incorrect movie, American Pie, like uh, Stifler's mom and, I don't know, one of the characters, <laughs> I forgot his name, get together and... You know, he's a weirdo character. She's clearly creeping on him. I'm not saying I support it, but it's something where it's like, oh, that's their thing. I was, like, confused whether... I guess I'll put it... I was confused whether we're supposed to root for her to get with that student or not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. No, uh, there was something... I don't want to do things like this, especially, you know, I don't want to do things like this, but imagine if that was a guy. Right, and I think that's... I think it's more acceptable this way, but it's still weird. I don't know. It's. I feel like you're supposed to be rooting for the kid to get with her, but at the same time, we just wrote in the... Like, we know her better than we know him. Yeah. And so it's this weird... Well, okay, like, I can see why the the 20-year-old who's, you know, who went to... The the one line that I wish was changed, you know, he says, like, you failed seventh grade twice, and he's like, he goes, you know, rule of three is that he should have said, you know, third time's a charm. But <laughs> I, I don't know, like, I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. And I don't want to have that feeling. Um, it just it really annoys me when people like say like, oh, like, you see like a teacher getting arrested for sleeping with her students. And it's like, oh, but she was a hot teacher. I would support my son if he did that. Like you hear people say that on the Internet. Do people say that? Yeah. On the swampy Internet, you do. Trust me. Next time you see uh, that kind of thing come out check out the comment section. It's, okay. like, pretty terrible. And it's like, no, that person just was, like, in charge of molding this young person's mind, and suddenly they're doing this. It's like... And again, if you want to make this the creepy teacher, then make it the creepy teacher. But, like you said, we learned so much about her, and we're starting to and be, like... And she's portrayed as the cool teacher. Like, exactly. She's the, she's the cool... And she's also the only teacher we know. Like, Jason Sudeikis plays the principal, and she's the only teacher that we know. So it's like... Ugh. Um, also, side note, there's an entire novel called Tampa, which is about a hot young teacher who wants to sleep with her middle school students, which, yes, I know exactly how that sounds. <laughs> that Harmony Corinne, who wrote Spring Breakers and wrote The Beach Bum, a.k.a. my favorite movie of the year, was going to adapt into a movie, and I don't know that he ever did, but I read this novel because of it, and like it, 
is a real kind of like an inside the mind of a serial killer, but about this, you know, child sex offender. Like it's crazy. Mm. Um, I, I, that's a hard recommendation to <laughs> give out, especially for people like who like the kind of movies on this podcast. I don't know if Tampa quite fits into that <laughs> that wheelhouse, but if it sounds interesting to you, it's an interesting read at least. It's also wildly graphic, like incredibly graphic. <laughs> Good to know. I mean, Mike Manzi, we keep name dropping you, but we more talk about books on your show. Well, not anymore, I don't think. But book club was a thing. We don't really have a high school slumber party. R.I.P. Book, book club. club. Yeah, R.I.P. Book club. <laughs> Um, who else did I want to mention? I mean, there's tons of people in this. A lot of people do good jobs. More, I don't know, like, the actors, but in terms of, like, the characters. Uh, oh, Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte play Amy's parents. I thought they did a really funny job. I like that, you know, their little element here. They're, you know, somewhat conservative parents, but they clearly love her and re- really support her. And that, that scene where they, like, make all the food for her. <laughs> and I like the element, how they think uh, Molly and Amy are dating and... <laughs> <laughs> the way um, Molly plays it plays it with them, I just yes. I thought you know I thought they did an awesome job. Oh, the one other person I wanted to mention was actually uh, the actress that plays Hope, Diana Silvers. She's not in too much, but she's also in that movie Ma, which just came out. Oh, okay. So I'm like, wow, two big movies, two high school movies technically in a row together. I haven't seen Ma yet. Maybe I'll do it um, now, or maybe I'll do it when it comes out on you know, video on demand or whatever, but I thought that was a pretty cool fact, like a nice moment for her, so good for her. Oh, she's also the star of the movie or the episode of Into the Dark that I bailed on. Um, Into the Dark is a is a sort of like a weird, it's a cool idea. On Hulu, there's a, they put out a movie every month, on like the first Friday of the month, and each movie ties to the biggest holiday in that month. So they put okay. out the first one was like a, I, I know that they did like a, I think the first one was a Halloween one, and then like a Thanksgiving one was the one she was in. Then there was a New Year's Eve one, and then or maybe there's a Christmas one, then a New Year's Eve one. They weren't great. Like the idea was cool. Some of them were better than others. I watched like three or four, I think. But she was in one. She was a star of one. And I just ugh, didn't love it. That sucks. Um, but yeah, but she's also in Glass, and she's gonna be in some movie called Eve too. So she's uh she's getting work. She's good. Yeah, she is. She's really good. I do want to give credit to the kid who plays Jared. Oh yeah. Were you gonna bring him up or no? No, I mean I didn't really know who he was. I was gonna bring Jared up as a character, but I mean let's so, talk about it now. Skylar Gizondo. I don't know how you, that's how you pronounce his last name. He was in the Vacation reboot, which is not bad. You're right. Also, you know that's where I've seen him with, with Jason Sudeikis, with Jason and also Sudeikis. Jennifer Aniston and Emma Roberts. So it's a lot of people that I really like. Uh, but also, more importantly to me, is that he's the son, he's like the one of the leads on the Santa Clarita Diet, which is really, really funny on Netflix. Mm. So check that out. But he's great, and when he showed up, I was like, oh, that guy. So he's really good, and he and Billy Lord together are just really great in this movie. Yeah, no, for sure. What a tandem they make. And just, like, who they play is just so good. I, I loved the Jared character. Like, he's trying so hard. Um, so this movie, you know, it's about, like, essentially two girls, right, who they're, I don't want to call them overachievers, but especially, especially uh, Molly, though, like, I think she's valedictorian, she's class president, and she, people you could tell don't like her because she's just, we all know people like this, I don't know how to describe her, you know. Um, Well, she's a type A, she's like a very rules-oriented, following the rules, everything has structure, this is exactly how I'm going to do my, my life. I'm going to become the youngest Supreme Court justice, and here's how I'm going to get there. And she's the kind of person who is admirable in that she knows exactly what she wants and how it's going to, how she's going to get there and what it's going to take to get her there. But she's frustrating 
in that the rest of the world, if it doesn't fit in with her plan, doesn't make sense to her. You know what I mean? So it's great that she is confident and self-composed and determined and has a, a noble, ambitious goal. But also, you know, for high school kids who just want to have fun and just get fucked up on the night before graduation... She's kind of a buzzkill. Oh, yeah. And it was a little convenient that the school or the class already established a rule that they couldn't say what college they were going to. I feel like someone like Molly, even though that was a rule, would try to find out before the point she did. Like, that was a little... Well, do you think? I think she I think she respects the rules too much. Maybe she does. Maybe she does. Regardless, I thought it was an awesome moment when she starts asking everyone where they're going to go. By the way, what a, what a high school where all those people are going to such great colleges but you were saying is this is this one of the things you want to bring up one of the criticisms of the movie um i mean supposedly not 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 necessarily i don't know if this is maybe something i was thinking but i thought it was actually pretty cool when she finds out where these kids were going and like her reaction because it is so true not everyone who gets into these ivy league schools has to be like a super studious motivated person like she is and and sometimes it really really does suck when you see that because you know, you try so hard at something and you do a good job and you feel like you've accomplished something. And then you see the quote unquote slacker kid who you see as beneath you, theoretically, as achieving almost equal to you, you know? And I, I thought that was a good way to like shock the system, if you will, in terms of what would get them to have to go to these parties. It, it, a catalyst, you know? Yes. The reason I brought that up is because one of the criticism I'd seen about this was that it seems convenient that all of these characters that we know are all getting into really good colleges. But at the same time, Gigi's a one percenter that she can basically probably buy buy her way into, not an Aunt Becky style, but like buy her way into Harvard, right? <laughs> um, that one guy has a soccer scholarship to Stanford. That's not crazy. AAA, who is awesome at hand jobs, as she says, but also rocked the SATs. Like, I feel like there's few enough characters that it's believable, that I know that it's frustrating that, like, everyone we know is going to one of these great schools, and I sort of understand that criticism, but at the same time, I think it's believable that these people with this background all have successful futures, because it feels like mostly, for the most part, it's an affluent high school, and I feel like they're probably afforded benefits and stuff that a lot of other people don't, and so they have a leg up just based on that alone, and so they're able to get into Ivy Leagues and Stanford and all that kind of, you know, the higher tier, the upper echelon of colleges. Yeah, yeah, no, and those are all really good points. I also didn't mind because when you see the entire film and you realize there is like a stylized nature to a lot of things, to me, it made it more funny. I'd rather take more of the comedy than trying to be more realistic, if that makes sense. Like, I don't need, like, in that scene for one person to be like, oh, I'm just going to community college. You know, that ruins the moment of the her, her flipping out, you know? I don't need that. Like, I don't need every movie to be a documentary. So, I, like, that part didn't bother me. I could see why, but that's a, yeah. that part really didn't bother me. Okay. Didn't uh, bother me either. I was just... No, no, I know. You, and you made a good point. You made a good counter-argument to it. So, you know, they decide that they need, they need to go to these parties and... No, sorry. Party. What's his name? Nick. Nick, who's the vice president, who all the ladies like. I didn't realize that AAA was one of the girls flirting with him at the beginning till I saw, like, the first six minutes again. And he ends up being the love interest of Molly, which... Well, kind of unrequited love interest, Yes, right? yes, yes, like yes. She's the one that he's going after, or he's the one that she's going after. Yes. I'll ask you this question. Like, was that obvious to you from the beginning? No, I think what was obvious to me from the beginning that eventually paid off, but I wasn't exactly right, is that like five or six minutes into the movie, it might it might not be in the it might not be in the first part that you that is available mm-hmm. online, but Molly and Amy are talking about Nick throwing the party and Molly says something to the effect of, 
oh, he's so stupid. Someone's always someone always gets arrested the night before graduation. I was like, oh, Molly's gonna get arrested, and eventually it's Amy who gets arrested. Yeah, but I saw that coming. I didn't necessarily see Molly liking Nick. This movie, I think, could have worked well without her having a love interest. Like, not that she's asexual or undesirable or whatever, but I felt like we already set up so clearly early on that Amy's got the girl that she's after. Like, I don't know that we necessarily need to have both characters have a character that they're lusting for. You know what I mean? No, I, and I, so I, I think, think it, it unveils in, a, in an interesting way, especially with Billy Lord as the, the voice of wisdom, as the mayor from above on the balcony, shouting down wisdom from above. Um, <laughs> and I think that's great, and I think it makes sense. I just don't know that we necessarily need it, but I liked how it unfolded. That's fair. I mean, I, I read some places, and I don't disagree that a lot of the people were criticizing how telegraphed certain things were. But that's another thing I don't have a problem with, because in this genre, that is just something that always happens anyway. I don't need surprises. The surprises I did get, like Billy Lord showing up in random places, were enough yeah. for me, you know? <laughs> um, well, that's the kind of thing that we talk about on Too Fast, Too Forever, that when a movie isn't good and things are telegraphed, like, for instance, not to put any movies on blast, but Godzilla, King of the Monsters, not a great movie. And so when I'm ooh. able to predict lines or predict what's going to happen next it makes me roll my eyes because I'm like, of course this movie would go there. You know what I mean? But in a movie like this, or in a movie like The Fast and Furious, movies that I really enjoy, when something is predictable, or there's a line that I can guess, or there's like a corny joke or whatever, I give it the benefit of the doubt because I'm enjoying it. And I know that that's not necessarily fair, but it's the way that I'm kind of approaching it. But that's something I'm like, in this podcast, that's something I'm realizing. It just makes a good movie, right? You start stop caring about those kind of things. It's, you know, back to horror films. Of Most of those films are the same. I'm sorry. But when they do things slightly differently and they do things good, that makes it better than just the crap, you know? And I, that's why I, don't, I didn't really care about, like, the telegraphing things here, if that makes sense. I do want to defend horror movies for a second, though. I think a I'm lot of the bad it. ones are very similar, but I think that there are a lot of ones doing things that haven't been done, and those are, especially in this new wave of kind of indie horror and stuff that there's a lot of movies that you probably haven't seen that aren't quite like everything else but fair go on you're more the expert than i am that's for sure <laughs> uh so you know they end up having to you know wanting to go to all these parties but they don't have the address to nick's aunt's house i guess that's where it's being held yep this is how the hijinks start so after i saw this movie in the theater i was like let me just sit here while the credits were rolling, and write down everything I remembered because I couldn't take notes during the film. I sure. thought about doing it, and I sat in the back row, and there weren't that many people in the theater. But, of course, some person came in and also sat in the back row. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that to them. That would not be fair. Um, one of the things I wrote down, and I don't know if it happens here, but is when the, the little quirks that made me laugh, one of them was like that panda that I guess she has. Sexual That's what she uses to masturbate with, yep. Yes. <laughs> you know, the way that they, like, needle each other, and the way that Molly's needling Amy when it comes to, like, the panda, and even her parents, I laugh because, like, that's something I would... Not literally that, but, you know, that's the way I would joke with my friends, you know? Even today. Like, that that, yeah. that kind of needling and that kind of back and forth. So, sorry, I just, I just wrote that down, and I would be remiss if we didn't bring up things like the panda or, or little things. Uh, oh, I wrote down, um, it, and it's in that first six minutes, when we see the, the drama club um, yes. come up and they invite to Shakespeare in the parking lot. And the Sha no, Give it the pause. Oh, sorry. Shakespeare in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, the way that the one kid is like, it's something we did in, when I studied in Barcelona. It's what we did in my summer program last year in Barcelona when I lived in Barcelona. And he says it like three times. Like, it's just yeah. little things like that. And hey, no way is that realistic, like, language that people are going to do. But it's still made me laugh. It's still stylized language that makes me laugh. It's very comedy, you know, which, uh -huh. which uh, you know, I, I thought that was pretty cool, too. Another thing that the movie does really well is the genuine love between Molly and Amy, that not only are they needling each other and, you know, Molly telling a story about how she once tried to masturbate with an electric toothbrush and it gave her a really bad UTI, but Amy's like, I know that. You've said that a lot of times <laughs> to me. But also, like, when they first get dressed for the party, they, they both get dressed in a way that I can best describe as, like, high schooler wanting to fit in with a college hipster party. Mm. Like, they like Amy's wearing a beret, and they're both in these, like, jumpers, and they look good, but it's also like, oh, you got a very... It's just, I, I don't know. Like, they don't look traditionally movie star gorgeous, right? And they're both, like, giving themselves, giving each other such high praise and such compliments <laughs> and telling each other how beautiful they are. No, no, not acceptable. This is not okay. Who allowed you to take my breath away? And it feels so real and it feels so genuine, and I love that. And then the same thing happens later after Miss Fine drives them to the party, and they are dressed identically, basically, in those jumpers. And then Miss Fine says, you can take clothes from my car and put them on or whatever. And magically, they're exactly the right size for both of them. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. But again, the stylized once nature again, of the film. Once again, like, I, you know, they, they got changed because they were matching. But then to my eyes, to just the unfashion forward dude, they're both in sparkly dresses. And it seemed like they match again, but, you know, whatever. But they're both, once again, like, no, you're too beautiful. How are you this beautiful? <laughs> and it just, I don't know, again, going back to the same thing that you've been saying, that we've been saying all episode long... I don't know if people talk like this, but it works in the movie, and it's adorable, and it's positive, and it's just wonderful. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you pretty much summed it up right there. <laughs> Wait, okay, so refresh my memory since you've seen it uh, sooner than yep, I have. Yesterday. Yesterday, mm -hmm. yes. So you've seen it yesterday. How does this party thing work? What's the first party they go to and... Oh, the first part is the yacht, right? Well, they go to the boat, and no one is there except for the crew that catered Sasha Obama's graduation <laughs> or birthday party or something. And it's just Jared and it's Gigi, and they have their things there. They take the, they unknowingly take the drugs, and then they call a lift because the one flamboyant theater kid gives the address for the party, but it's the costume party. It's the murder mystery party at the other flamboyant theater kid's house. And they go to that party with the Jason Which Sudeikis lift. I thought was and then great. They leave there, and then that's when they go to the pizza place, have the entire pizza encounter, call Miss Fine, and then get taken to the final party to Nick's party. Gotcha. Okay. And I, I, we touched a lot already, I think, just from like the Billy Lord stuff and the Jared yeah. stuff about the boat party. Again, thought it thought it was great. It felt so real, even though it wasn't real and it was a little exaggerated. It, it felt so real. Uh, you mentioned that they accidentally took those um, drugs, which comes to fruition, no pun intended, later in the film. But I was a little afraid going in that this was going to rely heavily on drug humor or alcohol humor. And I don't care. But sometimes I think a lot of these high school movies use that as a crutch. Like, sure. oh, he got so drunk, that's why he did that. Or, oh, he was so high. Man, I was tripping, so I became a different person, you know? And I was actually pretty happy, like, for example, that uh, when they're in Jared's car and they're worried the, about the cocaine and then it ends up going into their faces. You mean her vitamins? <laughs> yeah, the fact that it, like, that 
it was still hilarious, but it wasn't like, oh no, you know. So you mentioned, you know, they took strawberries that were, I guess, laced with something. They they get to the murder mystery party, which was... have you, First of all, I'll ask you, have you ever been to a murder, murder mystery dinner or party? I went to one... Our uh, former co our former co host on the network Christian Larson, who I think you know, he hosted one oh, okay. when we were all in college together, and I don't remember the part that I played, but I remember that my friend showed up in a gold jacket and it was the hit of the party. Uh, <laughs> but I did I did one. It was it's kind of it wasn't as big as this. It wasn't as formal as this. Like I think, I mean Larson did improv and theater and stuff like that, so he's kind of theatrical. But I felt like this entire house full of people we're all fully committed to this. And it wasn't as impressive as this, but I've been in that situation, I guess, once before. I was on my high school improv team, so I've done things like this, but I haven't, like, in... Brag. <laughs> oh, what a brag. Well, I guess it is on this podcast. I got my varsity letter in improv. Actually, yeah. no, I did not. They did not give varsity letters, though I did get a some, like, $200 scholarship for Ooh. improv. I mean, like, because... Yeah, I don't know. The PTA gave it to me. So, whatever. That's not the point. I'm not here to brag. I, I, I joke bragged, and then it became a real brag, and now I feel bad. Sorry, guys. Regardless, I have never been... Because these are fairly popular now, I feel like. Certainly in Brooklyn, honestly. <laughs> um, especially, though, with like the rise of like murder podcasts. I feel like they've become super popular these days. But I, I loved this. I loved how committed they were. And the dynamic, and I... Don't remember their names, but the two, the the drama club, you know, the dynamic yeah. between the two of them. It was like what he he says to the the other guys, like you're at a ten, I need you at a two. Yeah, I need you at a two. <laughs> yeah, just stuff like that, and how meticulous he is, and they end up drawing characters. I forgot and again, like you said, Billy, the orthodontist, and something else, which is so weird, the orthodontist, <laughs> but uh, you know. Like you said, Billy Lord's the mayor there, but that's when she reveals to them that, is it acid that she says is? I don't know, but all I know is that they turn into dolls. Okay, so this is where I was getting at. What did you think of this? Oh, it was wonderful. Okay, so you were a fan, because this is one of the things have, that has gotten a little bit of criticism. I understand that. Like, it's a wild turn, I think. But I think it fits in that they're both not tripping balls, and they're trying to make sense of the world. I think it also is cool and smart in a sort of modern feminist take on whether or not Barbies are good for girls' images or bad for girls' images, because Molly's like, this is terrible, like, where's my... One of them says, like, where's my vagina? Like, I'm all smooth down there or whatever. But then Amy gets really into it, and she's like, I think I'm just going to stay here and just, like, hang out like this. And I think there is something... There's, like, humor in in the way that they sort of take that, like... Barbie has unrealistic body proportions, and if she was a human being, her back could not support her weight and her dimensions and everything. And they take all of that, all the negative stuff about Barbie, but they also bring in the, the humor of it. And like, as terrible as it is to become like the Barbie, like the the idealized form of doll beauty, you know, you get suckered into that life. I think it's funny. I think they they play with that dynamic well. <laughs> Why do you look like that, uh, Molly? You're a fucking doll. No, you're a fucking doll. What? Ow! Fuck! That hurt! Uh, my boobs are too heavy. I have no core. Our legs don't bend. They're twice as long as our torsos. These proportions are insane. Where's my chub? Wait, where are you going? Wait for me. I have to see for myself. Well, I've never done the splits in my life. Oh my god, don't look down, Amy! No! I, I, I can't reach! You have to 
put my heel in your hole. My heel? Your heel in my what? Your hole! What hole? Your cord hole! Oh. Fuck! Oh my god. Um, what the fuck am I wearing? Where's my badge? Uh, Molly, I have no genitals. How do I pee? How do I shit? I mean, I don't even have nipples. These are just mounts. My whole body's like a fucking dolphin. Just, just perfect, round, huge mouths. Wow. What? Look at my body. I am beautiful. No, don't get sucked in. This is our nightmare, Amy. I know this is unrealistic and bad for women, but is it bad? Because I feel pretty good. I mean, this ass won't quit. Amy, use your brain. I don't need to use my brain. I just need to be smooth and flexible. Look at you, you bad bitch. Okay, that's it. We have to wake up. My, my, my. Hmm. I think I might, like, actually stay here for a while. No, I won't let you do it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. You need to throw up. Let me have this body. I loved the way it looked. I agree with that. And... I was thinking the same thing you were thinking too in terms of this is, you know, this feels very feminist and it makes sense with the film and it, it's funny what's happening here. And I liked that if they're going to use this kind of like trip in humor that they used it for a platform rather than just uh, craziness. A movie that you're not too much of a fan of, but a lot of people are, The Big Lebowski. This scene was actually inspired by a scene in that film. I can see that. Sure. <laughs> I also haven't seen that movie in like five years, so I might be more of a fan of it. But yes, I am on the record that I do not like that movie as much as I quote unquote should. <laughs> so, you know, I'm reading a lot of articles uh, in, to prep for the show and on Jezebel, this writer who actually really liked Megan Reynolds wrote an article called, let me pull it up. Shout out Megan Reynolds. Shout out Megan Reynolds. I always like to mention the author's name when I remember. Open it. invite to be on High School Slumber Party. Yeah, I, w I wish. Megan Reynolds, please come on, come on High School Slumber Party because I really love your writing. Well, we found out this past week, sorry to change the subject, that Ashley Tisdale loves The Fast and the Furious. So now oh our new dream guest is God. that. So we can talk about High School Musical and The Fast and the Furious. But that's, that, the, that's a game there. changer for you guys. Know, right? <laughs> and also the fan fiction that we read about her character from High School Musical that is the sequel <laughs> to the spin-off movie about her character. Like, there's so much. It would be the dream guest to end all dream guests. <laughs> but anyway, Jezebel, go. <laughs> uh, yeah, Megan Reynolds, and her article was called Booksmart is Not a Revolution, and It Doesn't Need to Be. She made a good point, which I didn't even see, and probably because, you know, I wasn't born a woman, to <laughs> clarify it. She's like, and I'm paraphrasing, but she essentially said, like, well, that scene was good. Like, that these characters were young Generation Z enlightened women, that that's not so much a conversation that they're having. That's a conversation that people were maybe having 10 years ago. And now it's just kind of common knowledge that, okay. that Barbie doesn't speak for everybody. Now, you know, and, and I, I just wanted to share that opinion because I thought it was interesting. You know, it's not something where I would think about that again, probably because I, I wasn't born a woman. Now, she loves this film, this writer. And it, it wasn't a criticism to it. It just, I think she felt like it took her a little bit out of the film. But even if you feel that way, well, the great thing about it is that whatever drug that this is laced in, it doesn't last that long, you know? Right. And I also do like that we see them doll walk out of the house in reality. Like, <laughs> they're still feeling the effects of it after this little brain, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, just this drug trip 
plays out, but they're still sort of feeling the effects of it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I've never taken those kind of drugs, uh, so I don't know how long that lasts. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not an the, expert. The extent in that of either. it. No, but I mean, I'm I'm glad you reminded me about that. Them walking out though is the perfect punctuation and punchline to it. So I I mean I I thought it was cool. I liked the way it looked and just, <laughs> just the fact that we could see that is just and, and how the party looks at them after that. I thought it was great. Oh, just briefly, like the pizza scene, we have, we have phone dying because of porn, <laughs> but the the pizza place, I, I thought it was funny that that when they tried to, what is it? Oh, because they go to cause they go to the library, right? To, so well, so they see no. Well, how do they figure no. this out? Like, how do they come up with this pizza plan? So they go. So the, one of the other best lines in the movie, the whole movie is they're looking for the address of this party, and they don't have the address. And they go to Billy. They they get the address to what they think is the right party from one of the theater kids, but it's a his party. So they leave that, and Amy says to Molly, "We're gonna do what we do best: motherfucking homework." And they go to the library, and they in the, you know in rap music video slow mo fist bump the attendant at the library, like you know she's their she's their homegirl, whatever. Like this is their this is their home turf. Right? This is their stomping grounds. This is where they feel most comfortable, and they are doing all this research, trying to find like land ownership for Nick's family, and <laughs> trying to figure out who these things are, and then they see like on Snapchat or whatever that there's 15 pizzas from this one pizza joint. So they go there, they get the hair masks in the back of the car, and they try to blackmail the guy to give them the address to get there, and they finally he finally does um, after giving them some some lessons on how to be woke in 2019 and not get sexually assaulted by strangers. <laughs> Uh, I left because later, you know, again, spoiler alert, but later with the, um, when they're in the jail and he's actually a sex offender. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole payoff, because that there's, there's the bulletin board, like the wanted poster when you first walk in. I was like, oh, that's funny. And then that's how she gets out of jail. They turn him in because they oh, know yeah, who he is. Right. They know where he works to get her out. So like, it's a, it's a, the payoff there is smart. Like, it's not just an isolated, funny incident. It comes back, which I think is another way that this movie is pretty smart. Yeah, and that, that's like that shows how well written it really is, because a lot of these things just they're not like vignettes; they're actually things like you said that pay off that matters. So, I mean, let's just talk quickly about the main party and everything that happens there. I don't think sure. we mentioned, but the girl that uh, Amy has a crush on is named Ryan. Ryan. Yep. And. Throughout the film, they're like, oh, is she gay? Is she not? You know, we're kind of not sure. Of course she is because of the way she dresses, which I thought was an awesome statement because she turned, I don't know, she might She might be, she, she might not be. Point is, she, she doesn't get with Amy. Well, she, Amy describes it in a way that is really, in a way that I don't have the vocabulary to use, but she says, like, she's like, oh, because Molly's like, oh, she wore a polo shirt to prom. Of course she's gay. And then Amy says something about how, like, that's just the way that she represents herself, that has nothing to do with her sexuality, and, like, she says it in this eloquent way, which I guess could also be considered criticism by, you know, the same sort of thing, like, that's not exactly how high schoolers talk or whatever, but I think it's kind of this smart, woke sort of depiction of sexuality and not necessarily, you know, all that sort of stuff. Amy comes back after it doesn't go well, and she's like, you know, I don't even know if she's into girls, and Molly says, well, of course she is. She wore a polo shirt to prom or something like that. And she says, that's just her gender performance. That's not her sexual orientation. And I like, again, I don't know if that's necessarily the type of thing a high schooler would say. But I think I have, a t- I have friends who are college professors, right? And they're more in tune with that kind of stuff and like that kind of vocabulary, the way that people speak, the way that you kind of have to speak. 
because they're around that all the time. So I'm not saying that it's not realistic. I just don't know if it is or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, that line is great. And I think that's, to me, it was so cool because, yeah, like you said, it's not a line a high school probably would say, but it's these little things in movies that make people feel included. Like you mentioned in terms of like, we're we're hearing women's voices now, but maybe somebody who's non-binary, who's the same as, you know, I don't want to say the same, but who is in the same kind of, you know, defined quote unquote bubble as Ryan hears that and is like, you know, is like comforted by that and that it's not always the job of movies to do things like that. But I thought it was just like, oh, okay, I completely get that. That makes so much sense. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I like that she runs into Ryan at the party, right? Like that's kind of, this is her moment. Like that she runs into Ryan and that Molly runs into the Nick at the same party. Like they're both getting, in theory, what they want, even though what they want want each other. Yeah, this movie got so hyped that when I saw it, unfortunately, I was looking for things like, oh no, this is going to ruin it for me, this is going to ruin it for me. And nothing really did, which is good. But That one... is a terrible way to watch movies. <laughs> it is man. a terrible way to watch movies, but that's how I look at life, essentially. <laughs> I can be negative when it comes to things like that. But, um, okay, so one thing that I was doing, I'm like, wait a minute, everything is going so well for Amy. You know, Molly seemed like a little bit at that point more of a defined character. Amy seemed more like the voice of reason, and she didn't have too many flaws. So I kind of, okay, so I kind of figured here that it wasn't going to go well with Ryan. And it obviously, but that, again, that wasn't a criticism to me because I'm happy it didn't. Because if he, if she just like worked up the courage to talk to Ryan and everything, everything went okay and they ended up hooking up, like that's not as interesting of a film. Well, yeah, I think you need conflict, but at the same time, I'm also of the mind that I just would be really happy just watching a movie with absolutely no conflict where, you know, beautiful people have a good time and there's nothing wrong. Like, the reason I love The Beach Bum is because Matthew McConaughey kind of doesn't learn a lesson the entire time. He just sort of floats through life and talks to interesting people, and that's the movie. And it's just like this weird kind of low-stakes thing. I think in a movie like this, you need a bump in the road. You need a reason for things to go bad so they can get good in the end. Oh yeah, no, I agree with you. I do like a good low stakes film where the character doesn't learn and I know people that hate that. No, but this kind of movie, you need that, especially the way they've set things up so far. Um, you know, and then Nick and Molly end up really hitting it off too. You know, there's a lot of like Harry Potter inside jokes. Of course, they don't get together as well because like, Ryan and Nick hook up, right? Yeah, that cuz that's when like one of the most beautiful scenes, I think the scene that a lot of people are talking about as one of the best scenes in the movie, is the pool scene mm-hmm. where Ryan... This is after the karaoke scene where they see, they sing a great sort of group rendition of You Ought to Know. But then <laughs> they go in the pool scene, and this is where she thinks that she's going to get with Ryan, and she swims underwater and sees Ryan's like uniquely tattooed body next to another person, and she kind of has her heart broken. Then you come up, emerge, and it's her and Nick. And I think that's sort of a twist in a way, right? Like that's... Yeah. Not only is she not getting what she wants, but we're also learning that Molly's not going to get what she wants. And, you know, and it's great when they have their big blow-up fight that, you know, Molly's like, oh, you just have to talk to her, and Amy's not kind of, like, revealing. She's not like, oh, you know what? The guy you're into just hooked up with the girl I'm into, you know? I was happy that didn't happen because it was just... You saw the flaws in Molly, and you saw a little bit of flaws in Amy, and... It is something 8th grade did as well. The fact that everyone starts filming their big blow-up in the background, he keeps seeing the lights go on for the phones. Yeah. I loved that. I love that too. Oh my God, there you are. How's it going? Did you find Ryan? Did you guys go in the pool? What's going on? Molly, 
things are going so well over here, like really, really, really well. I'm being so mean to him, but it's working. We talked about Harry oh. Potter. He knows I'm a Slytherin. He, I, I think he we should like go it. home. Wait, what? No, just just dry off. No, I think I think we need to leave. Come on. No, let's are go. you nuts? No, he Nick is fully no. he's fully flirting with me. This actually might happen. Listen to me. This no, actually might no, happen. No, Molly, please. I'm asking you. Let's just go. Amy, okay? just go find Ryan. It'll be great. Malala. Amy, no. Are you kidding? No, I'm I've done whatever you wanted all night, and I'm calling Malala, so come with me. No, I'm not leaving just because you're doing the thing that you always do. What is that supposed to mean? Just, you, you talk a big game, and then you give up just when things get uncomfortable. Like, you jumped in the pool, and now you're sad that you're wet? Like That's bullshit, no, Mal. That's if, bullshit. If I didn't drag you to do things, Amy, you just you wouldn't do that. You, you, you don't drag me. You, you force me to do whatever you want to do. What does that even mean? You decide what we do and when we do it, and then we always have to do it together. Yeah, I all have the to time. decide because you literally decide nothing. Like I do all the heavy lifting in our friendship. You never take charge. I take charge all the time. You never take charge. I always have to push you. Without me, you wouldn't do anything. I, I'm going to Africa without you. Yeah, I encourage your summer abroad. I'm not going for the summer. I'm going for the entire year. What? I'm taking a gap year. I deferred Columbia until next fall. When did you decide that? When I applied. In January? You've been lying to me since January? Yeah, because I knew if I told you, you'd bully me into staying. So our, all our schedules are gonna be off now. We're not gonna graduate together. We're not gonna go on a post-college trip together. We're not gonna move to DC together. Our whole plan That was your plan. That was never my plan. It's always your I plan. I can't believe you. You think that going to Africa makes you tough and you weren't even fucking brave enough to tell me about it. You're a fucking coward, Amy. You're selfish and mean. You're a bad friend. You're a fucking bad friend. I think cinematically, it's also a really beautiful way that Olivia Wilde directed this in that the words drop out because it doesn't really matter what they're saying. We know what it is and the score comes in and then we see Molly just mouth because we don't hear the words anymore, just fuck you. And that's, and Amy just looks at her and she walks when she leaves the party. And I think just the choice to take the focus away from the words and sort of more so focus on the mood and the setting and everything is just like a really interesting, well done confident choice and i just loved it yeah and that's kind of ironic because some of like the quote-unquote criticisms we've been talking about have been about you know the language and, and the wording that these people are using but that might be one of the most real parts of the film because when you're having these like blow up fights with people especially someone you really really care about your words really do stop mattering as much in terms of like you know it's just what is happening and then they've clearly gone past this point of no return and it's in public like this ugh it really gave me the feels i you know this is one of these things that look i knew they were going to become friends in the end the, the movie had that tone or not become you know reignite their friendship somehow but it was still it really, really raised the stakes of what happened, especially, again, this is where we learned that Botswana's for an entire summer. I mean, for an entire no, for year. year. Yeah, yeah. She's taking a gap year. And how hurt Molly looks by this, when in actuality, they were going to go to separate colleges anyway. Mind you, New Haven, or Yale, you know, <laughs> and Columbia are not that far apart, and they talked about maybe, like, seeing each other. It's probably good for the both of them. But they could all still remain friends, and all these things start to pop in your head while they're arguing as well. And I, I just, again, 
it was a beautifully executed scene. Yeah, agreed. Uh, where do we go from here, right? Well, so Amy goes to the bathroom and she has her uh, surprise sort of lesbian hookup with Hope. Um, and then she throws up on her and things do not go well. You think that's kind of the end of the relationship. We know that in the end, they're going to get back together. Yeah, there's at least a chance for them. But I actually did like that it didn't 100% work out there. It was very high school. It would have been too quick of a turnaround. Yeah. It would have been like, just had my heart broken. Oh, now here's my new girlfriend. It's like, I can see in that tension, in that conflict, kissing a girl and she kisses you back or whatever and things go well and then things go very poorly. And I, I think it, it can't be that quick because I also feel like if it was that quick, it wouldn't mean as much. But while that's happening, then Molly and Jared have their heart to heart and Jared kind of confesses that he likes her. He's in the first scene. He's like, you know, I like you because you're determined or whatever, right? Like, and he's like, oh, I don't mean, I don't mean like that. I'm so, I'm sorry, or, or maybe that's on the boat. But like, it's kind of clear that he's sort of got a thing for her, and you know, he's talking about how he just wants to fund musicals and what is it like, make spaceships or something, or make airplanes? Yeah. I'm like this kid's cool. Like this, he's got his shit figured out. Yeah, and they took a character who they could have just made both both him and the Billy Lord character were two characters that could have just been. Silly background people. And I do like silly background people. And they fleshed out, especially Jared, enough where you're like, you know what? We like Molly. He seems like an, a pretty good match for her. So, so, so yeah, no, that, that was pretty great. Then we have the, our classic, classic high school police raid of a party. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where uh, Amy has a really big moment where she, she and a bunch of people, what, they're like stuck in a different part of the house while everyone is scattered and she provides the diversion so everyone else can escape and she ends up getting arrested because I think um, Molly accused her of essentially being a coward, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she has her like, you know, her, her cowardly line courage moment, you know, and I, it's uh, Molly who goes home and is it Molly who ends up meeting AAA in the car? Yeah, Molly just walks out because they got a ride there from Miss Fine and she's nowhere to be found. So she's just walking home and then AAA pulls over and gives her the backstory that, like, you know, I just, I literally just gave them a ride. And, like, it's just a coincidence that I blew them or whatever. Like, but her nickname of AAA because she gives roadside assistance was not really earned, but it's also this kind of tender moment. Like, she says that she expected guys to talk about her like she was a slut or whatever or easy, but she didn't expect the girls to give her such shit. And that's what really hurt. And I think it's a, kind of a tender moment in a movie that's otherwise... I mean, we, we have serious moments, but I think it's a really nice touch that it gets deep and, like, you know, it's there's not that much bullying in this. Like, there's kind of bullying toward Molly, but and Molly bullies other people by, you know, using nicknames like this. But I think it's a nice sort of, hey, like, you know, it might seem innocuous, but she might really be hurting because of the what you think is a dumb nickname. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Amy goes to jail. <laughs> we already said how she ends up getting out of jail. They they kind of have their like makeup thing, right? What do they just make up at jail? I don't I don't even remember. On the phone, yes, right? Yes, they go to jail and Molly, you know, uh, they get out and it just you know they're never going to stay mad at each other. They just... no, and we know this, and we're you know we're okay with it, and both of them have have stories to tell. It's funny in these like high school films, especially whenever. Um, it's like an end of prom thing or a graduation dinner or graduation dance or a graduation party. <laughs> Always one of the main characters is like leaving the next day. I, for, you know, I, I could probably three or four that we've done already have that situation. Oh, yeah, sure. 
And, and well, you, I mean, it raises the stakes, right? Like, you have like, to. You have this to. This is my final <laughs> chance to say whatever. It combines two things that usually don't happen, right? It's ending the school year and then leaving to college because most people take that summer and you know right. do whatever. Um, but I love, love that graduation scene because it, Jared is reading Molly's speech and he, he's talking to Principal Sudeikis. And he's like, you know, on the Senate, like, it's from Molly, like, just because of procedure. He's her proxy. And I love how he's literally reading her speech. He's not like... like, I'm a strong, independent woman, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's great. And he's not stalling for time. And they end up, you know, uh, using Jared's car, Molly and Amy, to just, like, roll in there like badasses. And Molly, who nothing in her life seems like ever has been off the cuff Gives this great off-the-cuff speech. And off-the-cuff kiss to Jared. Yeah. And, you know, she gets her little romantic moment with Jared, too, which I thought was, you know, super awesome. Also want to make sure that we give Billy Lord credit for playing that beautiful piano (laughs) on the stage. And then being passed out, like, two scenes later. That was so good. Oh, my God. That was so good. I forgot about that, too. Wow. Yeah. No, she's awesome. She's awesome. Billy Lord, or Hollywood, I should say. Put Billy Lord in more stuff. And then, you know, they... They just quickly, it's not quickly, they have their, like, goodbye moment where it's the airport. I thought it was funny that she took her to the airport and not her parents. I don't think it would feel as natural to the movie if her parents took it. No, no. Realistically, yes, but also at the same time, it kind of has to be Molly. It has to be, because they have to have this final goodbye, and she leaves, and, you know, Molly's crying, and then she just, like, you know, appears, and she's like, you know, I could, I don't have to pancakes. Yeah, I don't have to be this early to the airport. Let's get pancakes. Last one on the plane, yeah, let's get pancakes. So I recorded Can't Hardly Wait, which is next week's movie, before I did this movie. And it's funny because something similar happens in that with a train. Not as good of a film, just spoiler alert. But it, it just goes to show you that, like, yeah, some of these things are cliche, but I don't care. That's a great line to end on because pancakes are awesome and their friendship is awesome and let's just have one more moment of this let's just have one more moment of book smart and yep. again i really really loved this film uh, anything else you want to say about the scenes or anything oh i loved ryan's theme music when amy looks at her it's kind of like in eighth grade where um the elsie fisher character looks at that boy that she likes and he's got that really cool music under oh her, yeah under him but like when when he when amy first looks at ryan and she's skateboarding in slow motion, and there's sort of a soundtrack under her. Oh, also the soundtrack. The music in this movie is great. So good. Was it you who showed me that they released it on vinyl? And it's like they a- are releasing it on vinyl exclusively at Urban Outfitters. Yes. So I made my first purchase at UrbanOutfitters.com. I don't know if it's back ordered because they sold out or it's just not coming out, but it's like sold out till August. If I'm supposed to get it in August. Wow. God damn it! I didn't get it yet. Oh, there's. I love Amy's harp song where she's like. If you don't say something in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to take you to the hospital. Don't want to say I'm getting concerned, but to be honest, I'm getting concerned. <laughs> I and then the scene ends with, we were going to watch that Ken Burns thing, and she says, the Dust Bowl can wait, bitch, which I love. <laughs> what a line. I love Ken Burns. I love the Dust Bowl. There were so many little lines in here. Again, not high school language, but I really enjoyed because... uh very much nerd lines, you know? Oh, yeah. Malala, of course. Malala! You, know, the, you have to, you cannot, you must follow in whatever footsteps. Like, Malala means, like, you're you're with me, ride or die, or whatever. Yeah, and, the, and the, again, there's so many feminist uh, people who are quoted or, or talked about. And I think I mentioned it when I guest starred on uh, Foodie Films that this is very much 
very much a progressive film. If you're sure. if you're an abortion hater from wherever, you're probably not going to like the characters in this film, you know. But that's fine. Anyway, it's like ayahuasca, but Asian, Asian waska. <laughs> I can't wait till this is on American Netflix or video on demand or whatever because I can't wait to watch it again. I might go to the theater again, though. I usually don't do that. But I really like this movie. One other line that I want to say is uh, when they go to the final party and they're going to the karaoke room and Billy Lord's like, karaoke in the guest room. And then she passes by Amy and like rubs her hand on her face. She says, fuck, I missed you. Like she saw her like 45 minutes earlier at a different party. <laughs> but just the way that she delivers that line and just that like she feels everything all the time. I don't know what is like, it just. Yeah, God, she's so good. So good. That's all I got. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to like poll a couple people. I, I had some, you know, I asked people to ask questions. I specifically asked some people for their opinions. And I've picked out three things I want to bring up. First is an opinion of someone who did not like the film. Okay, this is from Lauren at Feisty Mexerican. She follows High School Slumber Party on Twitter, like you all should. So she said, I found the dialogue to be very cringy, like that Steve Buscemi gif, where he says, Hey, cool kids, LOL, <laughs> which is great. From 30 Rock, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I also thought it, it was doing the most to be woke, quote-unquote, for points, and the gay characters felt stereotypical. I understand the woke thing. I don't think the gay characters thing is valid, because I think still, even though this is the year of our Lord 2019, and our Lord is Billy Lord, of course, <laughs> the year of our Billy Lord 2019, who are the gay characters? It's Amy, who is a lead, which is not very common in movies at all. We have Ryan as not a gay character, well, from she, what we know. She could be... She might be coded sort of masculine. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm using that right or not, but she makes out with Nick at the party, so we don't have any kind of inclination there that she's a gay character. And then there's Hope, who is not on screen enough to really get a sense of one way or the other, and there's just sort of a tender moment at the end. I feel like that's sort of critical of the Ryan characterization, but we don't know enough about her character I think she to probably... know if that's true or not. I'm, we might be putting words in Lauren's mouth here, but I think she might be talking about the drama club guys, um, the two of them. Like, I, I could see how some people would consider them stereotypical, but it wasn't something that bothered me necessarily. Okay, so I'm going to continue what she said. I also didn't find it funny most of the time, like the timing of the humor was off for me, not to mention that all the teachers felt creepy to me. What's with that teacher that went to the party with her students and asked if the kid... You're 20, right? The whole, th the whole thing was lacking for me, but I do think Beanie deserves all the roles. Sure, yeah. Look, the movie's not for everyone, but I think uh, she does make some really good points, and some that we've already hit on in terms of the, like the Jessica Williams thing. I didn't think um, Sudeikis was as bad, you know, as the principal. I think he just didn't want to be there. I, I I question why he, you know, got whatever degree he needed to do and was a go-getter enough to be a principal, but I guess, you know, he's given up. But certainly the Jessica Williams thing, uh, I'll agree with her there for sure. And she did well, like Beanie's performance. I can see him wanting to do his principal job. I mean, he also is probably 40 or 45 and probably been doing this for a while. Good and point, no one point. really loves their job, really. And I know that when we were in college and I co-ran the TV station my senior year, I would just hound the shit out of a handful of faculty members because I was like, I'm going to turn this club around. <laughs> and I can sort of see <laughs> Molly's character just being relentless because she wants to get herself on that path to becoming a Supreme Court justice, blah, blah, blah. Like, I can see her just being too much to deal with. And he might not be like that to everyone, but just to her, like, this is the last day. Like, I never have to deal with you again. You're graduating. 
I don't care about the transition program or whatever, the plan to get Nick to be president or whatever. You know, like I don't I don't want to deal with you specifically. So I don't think I have a problem with that him either, but I think Lauren's criticism of Jessica Williams, like we talked about earlier, is fair and valid and yeah. I wanted to find people who didn't necessarily think this was the best movie in the world because now Joey, you're a guy who you don't care. Petler on tomatoes. You don't care what the critics say, but I feel like a lot of people are bullied. You got it, baby. <laughs> a lot of people are bullied today. If everyone thinks a movie's good, they automatically like it or don't like it or feel scared to give their opinion. And that's just silly. It's totally cool to not like things that other people are liking and vice versa. There's some really bad movies. Or how about on P.S. I Love Hoffman, Along Came Polly? Kyle loves that film. I think it's really funny. A lot of people would hate that film, you know? There's, there's movies that you're, you're gonna... talking to one of them. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I love sharing opinions. I love. There's also movies, you know, like Greta, which came out this year, that is not a good movie that I adore, that I feel like Kyle saw because I said you should see it, even though I was kind of joking, and he (laughs) got very mad that he saw it. I was like, hey, man, I didn't say it was good. I just said you should see it, which I still stand by. I love that movie. (laughs) Okay, so I have two really quick questions that were asked of the, uh, for us. This one is from Mike. It's quick cue. If you were to throw the ultimate graduation party, what theme or attraction would you make it to make it the go-to party? Oh, boy. Let's say you had the money of Jared. Well, I mean, I'm throwing a party tomorrow, and I feel like, I sort of feel I would throw kind of the ultimate family barbecue of sorts. Like, you know, if I had unlimited money, I would just go bigger. But I feel like the, the barbecue that I'm throwing for podcast hosts and just my other friends that don't have podcasts on this network. I feel like that's kind of a, a peak version of the kind of party that I would want to throw. You know what I mean? Like, it's an outdoor thing. It's a... Keep it simple, but I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. You know, genuine. <laughs> it's fun. I was thinking of doing this on foodie films, and I'm like, that, I can't do that, because what if that something actually happened? I was thinking of saying your address. Be like, hey, open house at Joey's. You should oh, come. Oh, yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> and then I'm like, what if someone actually came and like robbed you or something? I'm so I'm like, you know what? That was a fleeting moment that would get a couple ha-has, but also could cause somebody harm. So, Well, we were also, I mean, we have put out an open call for the Too Fast, Too Forever sees Hobbs and Shaw, which has gotten zero traction, but, like, we've told people where we're going to be and when we're going to be there, so, like, if there's a lunatic fan out there, <laughs> they'll be able to find us. They'll know where to kill you. Yeah. Okay, an- another question we got. This one. Wait, was... did you answer Mike's question? Oh, I, I was just asking you. Um, let me see. What would I do? Yeah, what sleeping bag are you in, Brian? This is not <laughs> just about me. I don't think about how to answer the questions for myself. Um, I don't know. Hmm, what party would I throw? Now, look... Think about it, answer it later. I like the boat thing, though. I, I I wouldn't maybe have the same kind of music, but I think I would do... Oh, I'm an idiot. You know what I would do? I would host a prom. Of course you would. I was just thinking that. Yeah, or, or like in some a cool... Like a high school dance. Like I'd rent out a high school gym. I wouldn't invite actual high schoolers. I want to be clear, guys. But, you know, I invite my friends, invite cool people I know, and just have an awesome, like, throwback to, like, a high school dance at, at, at a, in a gym, you know? Yeah. I went to a prom party in college. I'm going to see if I can find the picture real quick as you ask the third question. But it was fun. It was just in a dorm room. It was, it was prom-themed. Oh, that's cool. Third question. Who? I mean, I know the answer. Oh, never mind. They preface this. Okay. Do you have a favorite supporting character? But then it says, aside from Gigi. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, easiest question ever. Okay, so who is your favorite supporting character? Besides well, aside Gigi. from her, Jared, I think, because I think that he, we learn enough about him that he's a real fully fleshed out character. 
but we also he's fun and he's funny he's got enough there i like a lot of the characters i like the flamboyant theater kids but we don't even know a lot about them i like the moment that nick has with molly where he says she's half slytherin half ravenclaw <laughs> i like almost all the characters in this movie i just think that the ones that we get to know more they become fleshed out better and i think that if if gg is off the table i gotta go with jared i like jared i was gonna say jared um i know we were like kind of dissing this subplot but i didn't mind theo i think his name was he was the the 20 year old okay you know i I, i'd like him to be fleshed out more oh you know what i'm gonna say though triple a i ended up liking her so triple a is great good good question thanks thanks slumbers wait who was that from who was that question from anonymous Oh, okay. Anonymous. I could. I, Here, I just put the picture of me and my friend Trina at prom in front of a wall full of uh, 30, <laughs> 30 beer, thirty case, uh, case of beer, whatever. That's great. Um, there's one other criticism I want to bring up. Okay. One of my favorite film critics is Allison Wilmore, who you, I think you might know because she writes for BuzzFeed. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And I'm not a big fan of BuzzFeed, but I love her writing on there, and she takes sort of deeper in more in-depth looks at film and everything like that. And she wrote, I really enjoyed Booksmart, but it's hilarious that it thinks the lesson of everyone getting into top-tier schools while working half as hard as the main character is that she misjudged their smarts and not that they're richer slash more connected than she is. And she wrote this whole piece about how Booksmart has a blind spot when it comes to class. And I think that's what I was talking about before, like, they're all they all seem very well off. You know, Nick's aunt's house is this gorgeous palatial palace, you know what I mean? And Gigi is the one percent and all this different stuff. And there's also the point where Amy picks up Molly in the beginning of the movie, and then when Molly gets home after the party, she's in kind of like this dumpy, sort of oakwoodsy apartment, right? Like it's it's she's a latchkey kid, her parents are never around. Yeah. Amy is this like wealthy, you know, two parents who are very supportive, very loving of her. Seems like they have like an open door policy that'll have Molly over whenever she wants to be there. There's everyone has everything going for her except for Molly. And even though this didn't bother me while watching the movie, I think Allison has a really great point where she's not the same as all of them. And that is a big difference. And that's a different movie, I think. But I think that's a valid criticism of this. Yeah, I think that's incredibly valid. I mean, again, I'm one that I don't think every movie has to solve every social problem. But if you're going to call this like so socially groundbreaking, like some people have, that is an incredible blind spot. So what was what's her name again um, on BuzzFeed? Allison Wilmore. That's yeah, really good point, Allison Wilmore. I actually, I actually really you know like that point. Something almost just as deep as that, Joey. That I, I have to ask you. Something that that like provocative will say is. Something you sort of mentioned. What sleeping bag are you bringing to the party, the Booksmart party? Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a sleeping bag that is adorned in the same way as the SS lit as fuck, <laughs> and it's just teal blue with flames down either side. Perfect, perfect, easy, perfect. Oh, we didn't rate yeah. the film. What are we rating it on first? Drugged strawberries. <laughs> Drugged strawberries. Okay, how many drug strawberries are you given Booksmart? Do I have to give a whole number? I guess... No. So, it's not a 5 out of 5, but it's goddamn close. It's a 5 out of 5 minus a few stems on the strawberries, let's say that. Like, it's more than a a 4.5, I think. I don't know how granular you want to be. Maybe 4 and 3 quarters. I gave it 5 stars on Letterboxd, but I think knowing your sticklerness to the whole scale of all of your movies, I don't think this is as good as The Last Picture Show but I think it's right in line with Edge of 17, which I think I gave like a 33 out of 35 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, I'll round up, I'll just say a five. So I think I'm going to do a correction for this, Joey, and it's going to lead into my next thing. 
Ooh, our freshman year is, is en- over. It's ending soon. Okay. We have two more weeks. We have our film next week. And then we have a special end of freshman year special that I don't have the name for yet. And I kind of decided that it was a good time to do this. Halfway through the year, I'm like, I'm an idiot for rating movies on a 1 to 5 scale. This is High School Slumber Party. They should have A, B, C, D, F like a yeah. test. Okay. Yeah. So I'm an idiot, you know? So if we're going to... You're I, not smart. I am not smart. I am not book smart. So I was going to kind of introduce this on my special, but seeing as you made me think of it today, I'll I'll kind of tease it, if you will. Sure. I feel so honored. This movie to me is an A, but not an A+, if that makes sense. Agreed. And and I think that's a much better scale for this, because I might go back and re-letter grade things, I don't know, just to be... You know, because 1 through 5, A through F is similar, but... Come on. I don't know why I didn't think of that from the first episode. <laughs> so I'm giving it an A. I should have thought of that too, but I try not to micro-produce shows. But yeah, an A, not an A+. I think Last Picture Show is an A+. I think... Okay, actually here. So let let me um go back to the movies that I did. So I think Last Picture Show is an A+. This is an A. Edge of 17 is maybe an A-. A or A-. I think I might a give or that a one an A-, a too, but... Assassination Nation, I think, for what it wants to be, is an A+. I think Summer of wow. 84 is a B. That's fair. I, I think Anna and the Apocalypse is like a C plus, B minus. And, I think, and Tokyo Drift is, of course, an A+. <laughs> of course. How can it not be? A plus with some extra credit on top. Help, help, Ooh, yeah. help your, your poor grades out. <laughs> A plus with some uwabaki. <laughs> uwabaki. Okay, so because I've talked about this, I was actually going to ask you, Joey, on air, because, let's see, this gets released on Friday. Over this weekend, probably this Monday coming out, I'm going to debut some things that my slumberers can vote on. Superlatives, if you will. Our freshman year superlatives. Now, I know you're partial to the films uh, you were on, but there'll certainly be a category, I'm not sure what to call it yet, like for best film of our freshman year, which is every film we've done so far in High School Slumber Party. Favor, whatever. I'm, I'm keeping it, there's not going to be too many categories, but I was trying to think of some fun superlatives to add to this. Like there's some that don't apply, like what would be most likely to succeed? I don't know, but certainly Class Clown does. Well, you could do, which I'm sure you probably already have, something along the lines of like best relationship, like best class couple. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Good one. You could have, you said class clown, you could do, you know, something along the lines of, like, best smile, which is just, you know, you know, cutest girl or the, the hunkiest guy or whatever. I mean, it's, of course, it's, whoa, 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 Peter Kavinsky. I mean, it's not, <laughs> there's not even a question. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, if he doesn't win that, that episode, category. He's got to win. He's got to win. <laughs> That's going to be a true, true uh, disappointment. I mean, life. you could have class athlete because you did you know movies like O and airborne and stuff like that oh yeah whip it yeah good good you're inspiring me i also should just open a yearbook (laughs) let's see probably but i think the best way to go is just and if you're if you're opening the florida nominations for superlatives to your listeners just go through the list of episodes see things that you loved see things that you really enjoyed and uh Go from there. Definitely. Well, guys, that's part of your homework if you think of ideas for categories. If not, you'll see it pretty soon. I'm going to put them up, and that'll be decided. And It's going to be a really fun episode. But speaking of fun episodes, thank you, Joey, for coming on for Booksmart. Thank you for seeing it in theaters, even though I knew it was a film you were going to see anyway. But I appreciate you paying attention. And 
us going on this book smart journey together. Anything you want to plug or, or, or talk about? Well, I was just going to say that I will take the uh, ticket prices out of the high school slumber party coffers in the Cage Club bank. So <laughs> thank you for those money. Um, I mean, Fridays are for fun. You know that. So every Friday when one of these episodes comes out, we have a new Tom Tom Club, either Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise. So we're a little bit, we're, we're getting into the part of Tom Hanks' career where it's great, or it's starting to be great. We, we're, Tom Cruise's career has been great since the jump. But the most important thing to plug in terms of podcasts is Too Fast, Too Forever, which you've been on a couple episodes. You're going to be on another one very soon. You and the foodie films man himself, Kyle Ryan, you're going to be on Fast Five with us. But every other Tuesday, Joe Two and I go through a Fast and the Furious movie. And we are now on the fourth lap, so we're seeing each of them for the fourth time and talking about it for the fourth time. And it's really fun and really goofy. And even if you don't necessarily like those movies, I think we talk about enough stuff that has nothing to do with those movies that it's worth listening to. And I think it's a lot of fun. And we have a great listener base who writes in emails and participates in all sorts of fun ways. And check it out every other Tuesday, Too Fast, Too Forever. I'm genuinely, genuinely jealous of your class participation compared to mine. I'm putting. We have the best fans. <laughs> I well, I'm not gonna diss my slumbers. I love you, slumbers, but you got to pick up your class participation game when it comes to this kind of stuff because that too fast, too forever. What do you call your fans? We don't have. We don't. We don't call them that. I think that's part of the benefit. We're just like they don't. They don't get classified into like a. A nickname. I'm just joking. Um, but I feel like, you know how in, in elementary school, I don't know if they did it in high school. Maybe they did it in high school, but they had like the sort of the, before the report card came out, there was like the midway check-in and like there were like letters. It's like in you know, a proficient, yeah. needs improvement, satisfactory, whatever. I feel like ours is whatever the best one is and yours is satisfactory. Like you got you got some great fans. Oh, and I love them, in, yeah. But there's room for improvement. There is room for improvement, guys. Well, Joey, thank you again for coming on and... You know, we'll chat soon. Yeah. See you later. Bye. Big thank you to Joey, as always. Always great having the Godfather on. And I don't know if you caught what he mentioned there, but Cage Club, the network that I'm proudly a part of, recently had its thousandth episode, which was awesome. That means of all the shows on Cage Club, we together have released 1,000 episodes. A big milestone for all of us. We're all patting ourselves on the back. And Joey put together this great, like, thousandth episode. It's on our feed. You definitely want to hear it. I'm on there. Joey's on there. A lot of the other hosts are on there. And it's just us having a good time and, like I said, celebrating our thousandth. Thousandth. Whoa. My tongue just got fat from that. <laughs> no, but it's a big deal, and it's so cool, and I can't wait for the next thousand episodes on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And I'm really sorry, guys. I know I've kept you super long today, but it's a new movie, and Joey and I were just so excited to talk about it. Another thing dropped in there that I hope you caught was that our freshman year is coming to an end. Of course we'll go on to the summer and sophomore year and all that. But we're going to do a fun thing in two weeks where we're going to decide some superlatives. I haven't decided what to call the very special end of freshman year episode of High School Slumber Party yet, but you want to check out our social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, because I'll be putting polls up there. And I want you to vote for different categories. You'll either see that this weekend or on Monday, so stay tuned for that. I'm so damn excited about this. This is something I've been waiting for. 
Now, of course, the show must go on, though. We can't look too far ahead. we got to talk about next week. And, of course, you got homework for next week. Good news is, this one's a classic. The film is Can't Hardly Wait. First, it was also unbelievable. Mike Dexter wanted to date me. I know why I started dating him. I just don't know why I did it for so long. Well, he is the most dope guy in school. Yeah, and school's over. His party tonight? Amanda suddenly being single? It's fate. Fate has opened me a window. Yo, I got to have sex tonight. It took me all day, but I narrowed it down to a list of 10 very lucky finals. You know what I'm saying? Think there'll be any girls there? Are you kidding me? People may even be having sex tonight. Have you seen Amanda Beckett? Yeah, imagine saw her right now. I'm thinking about asking her out, boy. Oh. God, you're a hottie. I filled this with seven bottles of vodka last September. It's been in my freezer for Alright, y'all, check it. It's hard to get busy. Who does he think he is? Brad Pitt? <laughs> and you're like, Glennon. But with bigger boots. Totally bigger boots. I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs! Columbia Pictures presents an event 18 years in the making. When you find out who your friends really are. I don't. Think she's prettier than Gwyneth. Not even. What your future really holds. I am going to have sex with someone at this party. And how one night can change your life. I don't know about you, but I really believe that there's one person out there. And for me, it's gotta be Amanda. There's a mirror right there. Why don't you take a look, okay? You're white. How's it gonna be when you're so Guys like us, we are a dime a dozen. There is fate, but it only takes you so far because once you're there, it's up to you to make it happen. Amanda? Can't hardly wait. Wishing has a winning play. Huntington, Huntington, hey, hey, hey! How's it gonna be? Oh man, I can't wait to talk about this movie. Such memories. And we'll be bringing back a very regular guest lately, Mike Manzi. After a one-week layoff, he's back. (laughs) And of course, another returning guest, one of my good friends from high school, Dan Ferrara. So you want to tune in to that next week and you want to watch Can't Hardly Wait, so you're caught up. I can't hardly wait to talk about it. That was really... Bad. <laughs> anyway, I leave you with another song off the Booksmart soundtrack. It is called, let me see, I just know it by the beat, Nobody Speak by DJ Shadow featuring Run the Jewels. Later, dudes. <laughs> Picture this, I'm a bag of dicks, put me to your lips, I am sick I will punch a baby bear in his shit, give me lip I'ma send you to the yard, get a stick, make a switch I can end a conversation real quick I am crap, I ain't lying, kick a lion in his crack I'm the shit, I will fall off in your crib, take a shit Hit your mama on the booty, kick your dog, fuck your bitch Fat boy dressed up like you sound, I'll answer pictures with your kids We the best
best We will cut a fronty face in your chest, little wench I'm unmentionably fresh, I'm a mensch Get correct, I will walk into a court while they wreck Screaming yes, I am guilty, motherfuckers, I am death Hey, you wanna hear a good joke? Nobody speak, nobody get choked It's over. Go home. Go.